If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. The following is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. This is Speedball Mike Bailey. You're listening to Keeping It Strong Style. Yush. Yo, this is Rich Ladder from One Nation Radio. This is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. We present to you the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Let's go. It's the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Covering New Japan, they ready to hold it down. Jeremy Donovan and the young boy Josh. Come and hit a job out in Barrio the Frost. From Tokyo Dome over to the G1. Social Suplex is the network where we can get it done. I'm a chiller. And let them have it Cause this is just an intro Keeping the strong style Six stars from the get-go, boy Yeah, from Tampa Bay to the Tokyo Dome This is Keeping It Strong Style With your host, Jeremy Donovan And the young boy, Joshua Smith And thank you for listening Welcome to Keeping It Strong Style The ace of podcasts on the Social Suplex Podcast Network Jeremy Donovan here with the young boy Josh Smith On today's show we'll review the Road to New Beginning Preview New Beginning in Sapporo And cover all this news in the world of New Japan Pro Wrestling You can support our show by subscribing and following the Social Suplex Podcast Network or keeping it strong style on the podcast app of your choice and leaving a rating interview. You can also get all the podcasts over at socialsuplex.com. Check out our Pro Wrestling Tea store, prowrestlingtees.com slash social suplex. That's where you can get your official keeping it strong style t shirt. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider making a one time or monthly donation by visiting socialsuplex.com slash donate. And click on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong Style logo. This week's episode is brought to you by the NJPW EXT, the only browser extension for NJPWWorld.com. Frequently updated and with features like dark mode, improved translations and layouts, custom and share playlists, synchronized viewing parties, and much, much more. It takes NJPW World. To the next level, you can visit njpwext.us today for details. Young boy, how you doing, man? Yeah, I'm doing good. Glad to be back here on the Ace uh, Podcast. Did you, uh, I know that the listeners at home can't see it, but did you happen to catch my nickname on the uh, group chat? I do. It says the, the Ace of the Ace of Podcasts. Yeah, and I, I feel like that's an appropriate title for me going forward. So um, I would prefer, instead of you calling me young boy, just moving forward, it's the ace of the ace of podcasts, and I'd like to be referred that way. Is this? Like, I think I've earned it. Is this like the uh, the Joe Lanza gimmick where you're going to have like new nicknames every week? No, I hadn't thought of that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, I mean, that's not really fair to, like, give that gimmick to him. There's a lot of people that have multiple nicknames. I just happen to be amongst the echelon of 
people who have many nicknames that happen to, you know, fucking rule. <laughs> <laughs> no, but um, I am glad to be on the show. And, you know, the the world of New Japan Pro Wrestling never stops. <laughs> it, it surely doesn't. It's always going. There seems like there's always news. There's always shows. You know, people are always like, how can you do a three-hour podcast about this Japanese wrestling? Like, what do you guys think? that? Dude, people all the time. Like, when, whenever somebody hears I have a podcast, and they're like, oh, what's your podcast about? Oh, wrestling? Oh, Japanese wrestling? Oh, it's three hours long? You guys, what do you guys talk about? Bro, that's your first mistake is telling people about the podcast. This is a dirty little secret. No, but I don't tell anybody about this, okay? There's, there's the me that's presented to the outside world, and then there's me that comes into this little pearl cocoon with you and all the listeners, and I you know, get to uh, <laughs> roll around in all the, the Japanese wrestling, the, the, the fetishism, as uh, Nick Aldis likes to call it. But, uh, you know, that, that, these are separate entities. I, I, I Never shall the two cross. Mm, well, yeah, I, I guess I do, I do make the mistake. I let everybody know about it. Oh, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's, that's, that's a mistake. No, I'm just playing. But um, I would tell more people about it, but then, like, I don't know. I just I, I I don't want to stop cursing on the show, and I, <laughs> I got people that like respect me and look up to me. And if they like turn into the show, they're gonna hear me. They're gonna hear me saying stuff that they're not used to hearing me say. So I just I keep it up. That's what it really is. Wow. <laughs> I mean, your your biggest fan, my father in law, listens in every week. <laughs> yeah, how is he doing? <laughs> He's doing great. He's probably one of my only fans. I think the majority of people listening prefer you. <laughs> no, I, I think there's a great uh, young boy crowd out there. Yeah, did you see we got retweeted by Josh Thompson, MMA legend today? I, I saw something was going on about MMA. I figured you you're getting in some kind of conversation <laughs> with somebody. I was like, all right. <laughs> well, well, the great Fedor Emelianenko, the greatest MMA fighter of all time, is uh, retiring on Saturday. So... There is a um, page that I like to frequent, and they post, you know, different MMA content. They posted something related to Fedor, and I just let the world know, like, he's the greatest. And someone, you know, tried to school me about why he may not be regarded as such, and then I had to retort (laughs) and explain to him why he was wrong. (laughs) You told him to do his research. I told him actually, <laughs> and with the actually, well, actually, but, yeah, the well, actually, but then, um, yeah, Josh Thompson of MMA Legend Fame, he uh, retweeted one of my tweets, which was kind of cool. Nice. Well, uh, like you said, uh, we got lots uh, going on in the world of New Japan pro wrestling, uh, but today is as we're recording the last day of January, which means we have to announce the January wrestler of the month and match of the month. So uh, Ace of Ace of Podcast, why don't you tell the listeners who our wrestler of the month is? I didn't think you'd actually call it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, you, you asked for the name change. I'm going to, you know, abide, you know, gimmick change. You know, I'm not one Nothing of those guys. I say on this show is serious. <laughs> I'm not one of those guys that calls people by the, the, the old gimmicks, the old <laughs> names. I like to move forward. You, you got a new gimmick, you know, got to respect yeah, okay. that. 
Well, um, you know, the, funny enough, we went back and forth. We didn't actually crown the wrestler of the month until a few moments ago before we got on the air. And the, the reason for that is because I don't think there was any particular person that stood head and shoulders above everybody else. And there was a lot of different individuals that had fairly strong months, you know. So just to kind of give a couple shout-outs, some of the names that we had discussed that aren't going to be the wrestler of the month but had good showings, Will Ospreay, Zack Sabre Jr., uh, Tetsuya Naito. Um, who else am I missing here? Uh, Shota Umino. Shota Umino, um, Kenta. All those guys had a Shingo. He's another one. They all had really, really strong months and probably strong cases. And you could probably, and Hiromu is another one you could probably interject. But um, we're going to go ahead and award the wrestler of the month, January 2023, to the current reigning IWGP World Heavyweight Champion, Kazushiko Okada. And this is really coming off of quite a few things. Number one, he had a fantastic main event in the Tokyo Dome, regaining the title against one Jay White on January 4th. The next night had the match of the evening, teaming up with longtime rival Kenny Omega in a pretty buzzworthy uh, main event. Later on, during the uh, road to, or during the Noah New Japan show, he had that fantastic angle with Kiyomiya that lit the you know community and the internet on fire, and everyone is raving about how you know awesome that was, and that kind of probably was the clincher here. And then beyond that. Uh, the feud that's ongoing with him and Shingo, he's had great showings in every single multi-man match and the promos between those two guys. So when you kind of look in totality, it kind of had to be Okada this month. So wrestler of the month, 2023, January, Kazushika Okada. Yeah, and then for the January 2023 match of the month, I mean, there was there was no competition unlike wrestler of the month. We, you know, this is pretty decisive here. The MMA match. <laughs> uh, no, uh, <laughs> the uh, the matchup between Kenny Omega and Will Ospreay from Wrestle Kingdom 17, January 4, for the IWGP US Championship. Incredible, incredible matchup. Um, you know, people really watching it, throwing all the stars, popping numbers on Access TV. Um, just an absolute classic epic matchup that really set the tone for the year. Absolutely. Totally agree. One of the best matches in a long time, and it's going to be very difficult for any match anywhere in the world to equal or better it. Yeah. And speaking of great matches and matches of the month and year, uh, last week, Voices of Wrestling, they released their match of the year list and once again I voted in that poll done it for the last uh, several years now so if you go to voicesofwrestling.com you can check out their list of the top matches from 2022 um, I have some write-ups for some of the matches there uh, I believe like five of my overall top 10 got to the overall VOW top 10 based off of the the voting you, based off you you got him there. <laughs> Fuck yeah. Good job, Jeremy. Uh, so uh, two New Japan matches were in the top 10, both the Osprey 
in Okada matches from the one from G1 and one from Wrestle Kingdom 16, which I, I both voted for. Those were my, my one and two uh, matches. So check out their you know, link there. I, um, I'm going to vote next year. <laughs> you should. You don't have to write anything if you don't want to. Well, I got really close. I actually made a list. And then I couldn't figure out how to do it. And then, yeah. <laughs> and then I hit up Rich Krejci and I was like, hey, I, I sent my email, but uh, I need a I need a link. And he was like, uh, we already gave you one. Uh, we sent it out to everyone that voted before. And I was like, I've never voted. And he's like, you vote every year. And I was like, I have never voted. <laughs> and he's like, I swear to God, I thought you voted. And then he was like, well, we already gave one to Social Suplex. And then. I was like, I don't think so. And then he's like, no, I did. And then I went through the chat and then he did, but I didn't understand when you sent out the link to us, I didn't know that it was an exclusive. I thought that was just a general link that you could go on like the internet and just find like anybody. I didn't understand the inner workings of (laughs) how this all worked. And then by the time, like I had everything ready to go, I just procrastinated and didn't put in my top 10. So I, my voice was not heard. I am the voice of the voiceless. <laughs> because of you, Shinihan fell behind. We, we could have had some more matches higher. My match of the year was going to be <laughs> FTR versus Briscoe's Card of Honor. <laughs> so, no, I don't think Shinihan fell behind. <laughs> <laughs> no, New Japan did pretty good. Had a lot, a lot of matches represented uh, throughout that list. And, yeah, FTR Briscoe's dominated the top ten. The dog collar match being the, the number one uh, voted match of the year. That was in my top ten um, as well. So, yeah, check out voiceofwrestling.com. See their, their list there of all the matches of uh, 2022. Uh, so now let's uh, move on and talk about what's going on in New Japan Pro Wrestling. So we had two Road to New Beginning shows last week from Cork and Hall. Uh, unfortunately, both of these were... Uh, Clap crowd only shows. I was a little disappointed when uh, turning on, they were only clapping. Uh, I kind of get the distinct impression that there's going to be a bit of a, I don't want to say a learning curve, but like a like a reacclimation to being fully cheered crowds. Because even in the situations where they've sort of lifted those restrictions, we've seen people cheer, but it hasn't felt the way that it felt pre-COVID, if you understand what I'm saying. Yeah. Like, we very, it's not very often that you're hearing the the high-pitched screams and the the calls of wrestlers' names. It's kind of, like, more subdued. And they're still almost relying here and there on their sort of, like, knee-jerk reactions, like, with the clap reactions that they've sort of been conditioned to doing over the past three years. So... I am even like with uh, the Tokyo Dome, which was a great crowd. I mean, they they definitely chant and cheer in appropriate spots, but they just aren't. The crowds haven't been quite as lively yet. Um, the only time that I can remember a, a fully cheering crowd going crazy was probably the aforementioned Okada Kiyomiya angle. Other than that, the crowds have still kind of felt like in this weird nebulous sort of transitionary stage. Yeah, but I think these were like I think I don't think there were a lot of cheer for these two Corkins, if I'm mistaken. But oh, I should have prefaced it. I didn't notice that they weren't cheering crowds because so often the cheering crowds are still kind of clapping that it, 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 I'm almost not even noticing one way or the other at this point. Gotcha. That's what I meant to say. <laughs> gotcha. 
right, so let's talk about these shows here. So uh, night one, January 24th from Cork and Hall. Show opened up. We had a uh, great Ocon defeating Roy Oiwa with a uh, pancake hold, six minutes and 47 seconds. Uh, so great yeah. Ocon kind of uh, trying to rebound from the loss of Shingo. Yeah, and before we jump into it, one thing I did want to say, I loved these Cork and Hall shows. Um, I know last week I told you I was a little worried because there were so many shows in such a short amount of time, and I didn't realize only the, the 24th and the 25th were making tape. But um, over the past few years, we've seen a lot of Road 2 shows just kind of be cannon fodder, just typical run-of-the-mill multi-man tags, no angles, no heat, nothing interesting, you know, the same old, same old. And it's good wrestling, but it's not really anything that you need to tune in for unless you're like the the most die of diehards. But on these two particular shows, I'm not saying that there was any matches that stood out in particular as being like classics, but it just felt like what we used to get from New Japan, a lot of like, character progression a lot of forwarding of feuds a lot of heat the crowd was really into it fun interesting energetic it just and it really did a great job setting the t- the the stage for the upcoming new beginning in Sapporo and Nagoya or Osaka shows coming up so I don't know Th- these just felt kind of different and for, for the first time in a long time I'm kind of actually excited to even review road two shows. <laughs> yeah. There, there's something, I don't know if there's been any changes in the creative room or, or if Gail's just, you know, pulling out the good stuff because, you know, cheering is going to be back or what the deal is, but it definitely feel like there's a lot more focus right now in the way new Japan is booking in these road two shows. Unlike some of what we've seen in, in the past few years during COVID, like these, um, these road two shows, there was a focus. There was built, like you mentioned, there was so much build there was a clear direction in every single match. There wasn't really any throwaway matches. Every match was kind of pointing in a direction, setting up these big feuds that are coming up on the next couple of weekends. And yeah. there was just an overall, like, this felt, these felt like true, like, go-home shows. You know, the, the quote-unquote Western version of a go-home show where you're building up all these angles for a big blow-off. Well, I think it's got to help a lot that you have your roster in the country and you don't have the fear that someone's going to get sick and get tested and be off the, you know, off the show or be unable to make the town or get into the country or the, the, you know, I'm not saying that anything was wrong with those parameters at the time, but it is nice now to not have to worry about them. And then that way you're not having to hedge your bets against some sort of issue on the, on the tour about someone getting, and foot mouth disease or whatever. <laughs> right. So yeah. I think that allows them to probably be more focused in their booking, if that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, so like I said, the show opened up with uh, Great Ocon defeating Roy Oil with the pancake hold, six minutes and 47 seconds. Great Ocon uh, rebounding from the loss of Shingo from a new beginning in Nagoya. Yeah, I think uh, during the backstage promos, he, he mentioned how frustrating it was to have gone from main eventing the previous taped show where he was, you know, in the main event, had an opportunity at KOPW, had an opportunity to be number one contender. And then the next night uh, he's curtain jerking with the young lions. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, that was kind of funny. And then you really get the sense that Okan is 
I don't know what the the correct term here would be, but he's sort of just like playing games with Oiwa. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And kind of just uh you know, sometimes we see guys lose and they come back with a vengeance, like Will Ospreay, for instance. He came back the next night after the Tokyo Dome. He wanted to get his heat back. That wasn't quite what... O- We've seen Okan do that in the past, too, if you recall, where he was, like, going on a tirade and going through all the lines, going through the dads in the opening matches. That's That wasn't this. This is kind of a guy who kind of understands his character and is sort of just out there playing games with this young line and showing him that, like, hey, I used to be where you were a few years ago, but, like, I'm, like multiple multiple levels above you and like i really just don't give a fuck and i can like take my time and put myself out there and you really can't do shit with me anyways <laughs> right just kind of reestablishing, you know his dominance and kind of you know getting some confidence back and yeah it's really good matchup and it's kind of like that a situation of almost like a, a predator playing with its prey um you know Oiwa really didn't stand a chance at any point but right um you kind of gave him that false sense of security but it was Ocon all day I loved during the post-match where he was like, wow, Oiwa, being an amateur wrestling specialist, you were defeated by an amateur wrestling hold. That has got to be so embarrassing for you. <laughs> I, I've never dealt with anything like that in my life. Meanwhile, he was in an MMA match showcasing his mixed martial arts quote-unquote skills, and he was choked unconscious by an MMA chokehold <laughs> just, the, just the night previous. And he was like, wow, that's going to be so embarrassing for you to be beaten by your own, you know, your own style. Yeah. He's like, luckily, we've never dealt with anything like that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So, yeah, fun way to open up the show there. Uh, then we had the Bullet Club team of Gato and the Bone Soldier Taiji Ishimori. They defeated Jado and Master Wato. Uh, with the brass knuckles in seven minutes and thirty-one seconds, uh, Gato's able to get the brass knuckles on and clock Jado with them to to get the win. Yeah, there seems to be a story brewing between Gato and Jado, and I don't know if it's going to have actual repercussions, but they're kind of standing in as proxies for Jay White and Hikaleo, who are both kind of absent from this tour, which is kind of strange considering the nature of their match is going to be a loser leaves Japan match. And, yeah, it's very conspicuous that they're both just not here. But these guys, obviously, we all know the history between Ghetto and Giotto. If you don't know, they have been inseparable almost their whole career. Long-time, long-time stablemates and tag team partners. Um, and then, you know, obviously there was a split with the Bullet Club split with uh, G.O.D. And both of these guys are acting as though if their guy loses, the other one's going to have to leave Japan with them, like, <laughs> which I don't know if they're going to stick to that, but, like, you know, Jado's acting like if Jay White leaves, then that's it. Gato has no reason to be around, and he's going to leave Japan, and, you know, vice versa. If Hikaleo leaves, like, you know, Jado has no use here. Never mind that there's still going to be a G.O.D. Never mind that there's still going to be a Tamatonga and probably a Tangaloa, like, nah, you got to leave. You're done. You're cooked. <laughs> You're done. In the bin. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, it's been interesting. Yeah, see the kind of that story playing out and seeing where that's gonna go. There, there's part of me uh, that kind of feel like th- there might be some kind of swerve here, and Jado and Gato somehow get back together, um, which which we we kind of done based off of everything that's happened so far in the split, and you know Gato's hitting this man with brass knuckles, but 
if they want to go back to that, you know, get heat brother, get that heat booking, I, I could definitely see Jado screwing over Hikaleo and helping Gato and Jay White. I, I am entertained by the interactions between Gato and Jado, but long term, well, I, I, and I think they should blow that off with some sort of match, even if it is on like a, a C show, you know, they need to do something. But I'm much more concerned about the fact that there's no Jay White and there's no Hikaleo, and this is a big stipulation. And something that people were really, really into back on 1-5. But now, like I joked earlier, and I used that, what is it, the world of MLW never stops? Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 like, spoofed that. But the truth is, New Japan is cooking right now when it comes to how much stuff is in the works, what's going on. There's a lot happening. And that sort of just has become a forgotten program. No surprise. Jay White is very used to being in big time <laughs> programs that he's not here promoting that seem to lose steam down the pipe. And I think that's, what's kind of happening here. I, I haven't heard very many people talking about this. And at this point, if both guys did leave for WWE, I wouldn't be surprised with how, how little investment there is in what's going on with those two guys. Yeah. I mean, they could do a, a double count out <laughs> finish and get both of these guys out of here. Oh my God. Can you imagine <laughs> <laughs> Double KO. Yeah, the Rocky Two finish. Yes. <laughs> uh, so yeah, but yeah, luckily they have yeah, Gato and Jado uh, trying to hold this feud up. Also, uh, Ishimori and uh, Wato are feuding as well. They're gonna have a singles match uh, coming up. So a lot of heat between those guys. Uh, Wato really trying to get after Ishimori and kind of prove, trying to prove, still trying to prove that he's on. Ishimori's level, even though he already pinned Ishimori uh, previous to Wrestle Kingdom. Yeah, and it's hard to say when or if this will have title implications, but because there's nothing domestically going on with, say, Kushida or any other major junior program, I would have to imagine that the winner of this is a number one contender. Obviously, we've got Beyond Just New Beginning, Fantastic Mania is around the corner, and before you know it, it's going to be... New Japan Cup, so it'll be interesting to see when they win or if they decide to pay that off. But I, I have to imagine that the winner of Wato Ishimori is going to be in line for a title shot. Yeah, I would think so. I mean, Ishimori. I mean, I know they don't always do automatic rematches, but I mean, Ishimori was just a champion, so it would definitely make sense for him to get another title match. Yeah, and at the same time, that story that they sort of started to plant the seeds for during uh, the four way match at, at Wrestle Kingdom seemed to imply that there's if not a, you know, maybe not immediately, but long term, there seems to be a road that Master Watto can traverse to eventually become the junior heavyweight champion. I don't know if that's going to be sooner or later, but it seems to be in the cards. Yeah. So um, after that, we had the United Empire team of Aaron Hanare and Francisco Akira. They defeated two of the just four guys of Doki and Takamichi Noku uh, via the Ultima, 9 minutes and 16 seconds. I, I don't like that your name, that you're numbering the just four guys as just two of them. Like, I think where two go, all go. It it doesn't matter if it's a tag team, it's still just four guys. They beat just four guys. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. You know, fresh off the, the press, just four guy shirts are now available on uh, Tokon Shop Global. I did see that, and I have to imagine whoever did the art for that probably did like the art for most of the Tai Chi shirts because it's like similar font, something I would 
<laughs> never wear, but I think like most people wouldn't wear either. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, fun uh, matchup here. So uh, the main focus of this match is building up the uh, junior tag title match between Francisco Akira and TJP against Doki and Kanamaru. Doki did get a pin over Akira recently, so Akira trying to get some revenge there on Doki. But ultimately, it was uh, Hanare who got the win for the team on Taka with the Ultima. Yeah, and, and Hanare has been kind of frustrated recently because of the fact that he's been teaming with the juniors and wrestling the juniors from just four guys. And he's like, you know, I'm not a I'm not a junior, and obviously these guys can't stand up to me. Uh, but the company's not giving me bigger challenges, yada yada. But it does seem like right now. They're gearing up for the upcoming uh, Tamashi shows, and that's sort of where he's focusing most of his attention at this time. So yeah. this is sort of like a warm-up for what he has on the horizon over in Oceania. Yeah. So then, uh, following that, we had uh, the Chaos match with uh, Hiroki Goto, Tomoro Ishii, and Yoshihashi. They were teaming up with Oscar Lube to defeat the TMDK team of Kosei Vegeta, Mikey Nichols, Shane Hayes, and Zack Sabre Jr., 11 minutes and 59 seconds via Boston Crab. We got uh, new music for uh, TMDK, kind of like a, a British kind of punk music for the team. New kind of vibe with uh, Zack Sabre Jr. as the front man. Yeah, I'm loving the vibe of TMDK. The new look, the new music, and by look, it, it's the same look, but they've all kind of Got quasi matching gear. Well, well Zach changed it up because he, he he's abandoned the the black and gold. He's got the the orange and black now. That's what I'm saying, Jeremy. But I'm saying he got new gear. <laughs> Nichol, Nichols, no, and Hayes, Nichols and Hayes got the same gear, <laughs> right? And he's kind of like aligned to match with them. And then obviously, like uh, Fujita, he's still dressed like a young lion, but he's sporting or rocking the Team DK shirt, so he's kind of in that same vein. But these guys. Boy, I will tell you, um, they're firing on all cylinders, and it, it's probably pretty easy considering who they've got to dance with. I mean, Bishamon and, um, you know, Tomohiro Ishii, we forget, but they are probably, if not the greatest trio in the history of the Never Open, open Way six-man tag team titles. And then you, you turn them in with any one of these young lions, um, whether it's Luebe or I don't think we're saying Oscar's name correct, but we'll figure it out here. Eventually. <laughs> um, and, you know, everything's just great. And we've already, since the beginning, talked about how highly we thought of Oiwa and how, how highly we thought of Fujita. And this story that they sort of have going is so, I, I put a tweet out about it this week, but it's so unique because he's still a young lion. He's still treated like a lion for the most part, but he's, gaining skills he's gaining a sense of character even if he's not like doing the traditional lion stuff like you know adding tape or <laughs> adding a, a something to his boot or you know gaining a new skill set necessarily in the traditional sense like he's sort of adopting characteristic and traits from tmdk and then that's sort of bleeding through into their matches and then beyond that there's the sub story not just with you know, obviously Ishii and Zach, they've got their issues with the world with the TV title on the line, and then Bishamon and TMDK for the, the tag titles. 
But every young lion that gets in the ring wants to fucking murk Fujita. Like, they are pissed yeah, about They about hate this. this man. It's it's like in high school when the freshman becomes, like, boys like the seniors. And yeah. Like, and your freshman friends are, like, all <laughs> mad at you because you think you're the big shot. You're hanging out with, with the seniors on, on campus. You think you're all he's cool now. He's big dog. Yeah. <laughs> He's like he's like he's like the the you know he should have made JV but they redshirted him and they put him on the varsity team and it's like the fuck <laughs> oh man and also what's been great is the post match promos where uh, Zach's giving him like a, a new like you know British phrase of the day to learn and after this match he's like you know you lost you went you went tits up you went and he's just like yeah yeah tits up. <laughs> Bro, I don't know. See, here's what's funny. It's like, okay, we definitely have international listeners, and there's in the fan base, there's a lot of like overseas listeners. And there's probably who know what the fuck they're talking about, but I don't. And this is coming from someone who's watched like six seasons of Love Island UK. I know all the, <laughs> I know all the British, like, but like they're they're going. Actually, I don't obviously because. Yeah, they're talking about being a blinder and going tits up and lovely jubbly. What I don't know what any of that means, but it doesn't matter. Just from inference, I'm kind of trying to gather what I think they mean. And instead of Googling it, I'm just along for the ride. I'm putting myself in the shoes of Fujita, who also doesn't know what the fuck it means. You're living his experience. Yeah, I'm trying to I'm trying to empathize and understand where he's coming from. But um it is very unique what they're doing with him and with the team. But beyond that, the actual, not just the story is good, you know, like, you know how like the bloodline story is good, but the matches aren't. Yeah. This story is good. And the matches are good. In fact, I know it's, I know it's only been a very short period of time, but just on this little tour here, the the team that I think is the most standout when it comes to multi-man tag team matches, it's TMDK. It reminds me a lot of what United Empire was like. When did they debut? Two years ago? Yeah, that was like, what, uh, 20, 2020, right? 20, it might have been pre-pandemic, 2019. I don't know. Nah, really because Osprey was still, he was still facing 2019. I think it was during the pandemic. Either way, when they first came on, we were remarking how there was so much thought and, you know, uniqueness and effort put into their undercard multi-man tag team matches. And we we're like, eventually people are going to catch up and understand that these guys are setting a tone and a, and a style is vastly different from everything else that's on the undercard. Look where that's gotten them to today. Mm-hmm. TMDK is doing the same thing, but in their own unique way. And it's all, I mean, we already knew how great all four of these guys were, but I don't think I had the vision of what pairing them together in ring would necessarily look like. Bro, it rules. And, yeah, I, it's and that, awesome. that's taking nothing away. I'm not taking anything away from, like, say, LIJ or United Empire. Those guys are still awesome. But these are the best multi man tag team matches in the company right now. Well, yeah, I mean, it's just a, a fresh combination, a fresh program. And um, also, you ha- you're filled there with eight, you know, great wrestlers in this tag match. And, you know, you mentioned great stories and a great match. And, you know, a lot of people think you can't have both. They think you either have a great story or you have a great match. No, you, you can have both. It, 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 you can do both, and it works. And we see, we're seeing this here now, like you mentioned, with this uh, story with Vegeta being a part of TMDK, being Zack Sabre Jr.'s personal young lion, 
kind of learning the tips and tricks, you know, learning the submission game, the British catch as catch style, learning the British slang, learning some of the, you know, the Aussie slang from TMDK. Um, so overall, really good story. And it, there's a lot of heat between Bishamon, Nichols, and Hayes, and Ishii, and Sabre. And then, like you yeah. mentioned with Vegeta and the Young Lions, like, this felt like a really hot, heated program where these guys wanted to kill each other. One last thing before we move on to the next match, and I know we're going to review night two and talk a little bit more about these guys, but, like, you know, from a technical standpoint, technically speaking, and I know this might be confusing to some people, strong style is not what most people think strong style actually is. I mean, it's it's, it's a terminology that has shifted and changed and ebbed and flowed as time has gone on, and it's... I mean, even um, like Tanahashi has said that strong style is not really a real thing. It's more like a marketing slogan that just happens to align with what New Japan is at any given time. But there was a point in time where it did represent a, a particular thing. That being said, we have many times on this show awarded our quote-unquote Carl Gotch Strong Style Wrestler of the Year Award to one Tomohiro Ishii, but Technically speaking, he's not really a strong style wrestler in the classical sense. Someone that is, uh, I was going to say Will Ospreay, Zack Sabre Jr. Mm-hmm. And during this feud, the idea of strong style has become a very prominent theme amongst those two guys where, you know, it's funny. We used to say the Never title was the strong style belt. Well, like, Zack has deemed the TV 15-minute title as the de facto strong style title that he represents and he keeps saying that he wants Ishii to show him his strong style. And like Ishii on the backstage promo is like, I'm not strong style. And he's not because like, look at who his like trainers and his masters were like, they weren't like, you know, from, from new Japan necessarily like, right. like free, freelancers and all Japan guys. Um, yeah. I remember and, when we were in uh, in Dallas in the press conference or G1, I think you, I think it was you, you asked him a question about strong style and he was like, yeah, I don't strong style. Like, I don't know what that is. Like I'm not strong style. <laughs> I don't think that was me. That you got me confused with someone else. All right, well, some, <laughs> somebody asked him a question about like strong style and his style, like in the U.S. And he was just like, "Strong style? Like, what? No, no, I'm not strong style." <laughs> right, and I mean, from a technical standpoint, like in the literal sense, he's not. Even though what he does today is what we equate to strong style in modern sense, most people would not look at Zach, what Zach does and call that strong style. But in the classical technical sense, it actually is. And in the Enochius. Yeah, he, he's much more closely aligned with the way Antonio Inoki and the wrestlers from the 80s and 70s wrestled than Tomohiro Ishii is. Ishii is much more in the vein of, like, the All Japan Four Pillars and, like, Ricky Choshu. Yeah, he's, he's of, more of a King's Road-style wrestler. Closer to it, yeah. Very much more closer to it. Um, although, Ricky Choshu sort of put his spin on that when he went over to All Japan. So, it, you know, it, it's all technical. But, um, obviously... We love anytime those two guys mix it up. We've even seen one of their major matches live when we were in um, New Orleans. New Orleans. Yeah. We saw their Rep Pro title, uh, you know, when the title changed from, from Zach to Ishii. But those guys have had many incredible battles, and they're going to have another one, and they're doing a great job building it up right now. Yeah, this uh, program has been awesome so far. And I wish Samso was here so we could be like, how many other matches have gone some 15 minutes? I think <laughs> the only one I can think of for sure was that one Wrestle Kingdom match. And maybe they've had others, but I don't know off the top of my head. Yeah, I'd have to look at cage match and see. 
So uh, following that match, we had a Bullet Club team of El Fantasmo and Kenta defeating Hiroshi Tanahashi and Hiroshi Tenzon. 13 minutes and 21 seconds via the sudden death. So we're uh, building up the Kenta Tanahashi matchup that's coming up. And ELP has a never openweight title match coming up. And much like his brother Hikaleo, Tamatanga is nowhere to be found to uh, help build up this never program. And while those three guys have those things, uh, apparently, according to Kenta, Tenzon just has a monstrous, gigantic head. <laughs> well, he, he does. <laughs> Every night during the backstage comments, he's talking about he's having nightmares about that giant, like, you know, mongoloid head of Tenzon. He's, he's just... He's very frightened and disturbed by it. Dude, Kenta is the man when it comes Kenta's to promos. Kenta's the promo cutter in, in wrestling. He's so funny, bro. <laughs> uh, he's awesome. Uh, yeah. But yeah, another uh, fun matchup here. Um, Kenta, Tanahashi kind of re, you know, kicking off their program from last year. So there's a lot of, you know, bad beef there. A lot of hate-filled from there, especially with Tanahashi injuring Kenta from that Wrestle Kingdom 16 match, which had Kenta out majority of the year. Scar is still on his back uh, from that matchup. And uh, yeah, Tanahashi kind of feels like the air's deflated out of him a little bit. Yeah, I don't know. It just kind of feels like obviously he's not in a, in a big, you know, feud. He's kind of being down cycled right now. I don't mean that in the literal sense, like, oh, the company's not behind him. I mean, like, from a character work standpoint, he mm-hmm. feels deflated. Like, every night he's just kind of, like, meek and kind of, like, quiet, and he's cutting his promo sitting down on the ground, sort of unsure of himself. Like, it's, it, it's weird. And then, like, there's one night where he's like, if I want to get back on top, all I got to do is beat Naito Okada Will Ospreay, <laughs> like, it's Sonata. <laughs> like, it's like he's like, and then I'll be back on top. <laughs> I think he said like Shingo and Kenta too, and it's like, all right, bro, go Ace. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, this match, um, even though they've done it so many times, it feels kind of like they're at a crossroads. These two guys. Yeah, definitely. Both guys are kind of been in the same position. They're they're not you know in any big future title matches or main eventing stuff really um so here's a big matchup for them that's going to kind of set i think the trajectory for them going forward in this year and i could see the winner of this match potentially being obviously kenta has a strong title match coming up but i could see the winner of this match maybe getting um a future u.s title match against kenny or a tv title match i can definitely see some championship implications from the winner of their matchup sure but uh, ELP, he got the win with the sudden death, so they're really trying to heat him up uh, for his never openweight title match uh, against Tamatonga. As they should. Yeah. You know, he's awesome. Yeah. Then uh, sixth match of the night, we had Bushi and Hiromu Takahashi defeated Ruiz Ketaguchi and Yo with uh, Bushi getting the MX on uh, Taguchi. So building up the junior tag, or excuse me, the junior Heavyweight title match between Hiromu and Yo. Yeah, um, obviously Bushi and Hiromu teamed together for a very long time. Um, Bushi and Taguchi are sort of like the odd men out because realistically, this uh, this match is mostly about Hiromu and Yo. But um, I'm really digging what what's going on between these two guys, and we'll talk about the um, 
this feud a little bit more on the second night because the 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 finals of the main event were really important to what's going to happen between these two guys going down the stretch. But I got to tell you, Jeremy, for the first time in a really long time, Yo does not feel like a hoe to me. <laughs> yeah, Yo feels like a player. You know, though, actually, now that I'm thinking of it, of course, I was out over the month of December last year, so I didn't see a lot of the Leo tag team so i can't speak to all of that i'm sure but i heard good things but for me personally the last time yo felt hot was when he got back from excursion and started wearing the black gear and was facing off with hiromu now everything's kind of full circle we've had great matches between these two guys we had them in the finals of a, of a super junior yada 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 but from that point which I felt like that match they had all that way back then was sort of a letdown, to now, Yo kind of feels a little bit like built back up, and so does Hiromu to a certain respect. Yeah, definitely from, I would say, yeah, from a kayfabe and maybe just a actual shoot standpoint, I think the team with Leo Rush really did help kind of refocus and re-motivate Yo. That was a great team. I, I feel like Leo really just kind of, you know, let a fire underneath yo and yeah you know he switched up the gear from white to black and he's just been a lot more focused a lot more you know he did more, more fire when we were, we were talking about that you know this guy was in some big programs you know he was in this heated feud with his ex uh tag team partner he was getting junior towel matches but there was just a lack of fire there kind of had this lack, lackadaisical kind of energy and attitude um but now we're, we're seeing that fire we're seeing that grit and it's definitely very intriguing to watch Someone find ACH, call him up, get him back to Japan, and let's get him in a tag team of show and get this shit worked out. <laughs> oh, my gosh. You think I'm joking? That was not a joke. This is a real booking idea. Go, Gato, go, I know you're ACH. Listening. Yeah, go, go, ACH. Yeah, where, where is ACH? What is this man? Bro, doing? I miss him. I love him. I don't know. Yeah, he's awesome. Yeah, I would love. Hopefully, he does come back. Yeah, bring him in for the uh, the junior festival. Um, but yeah, so Yo is looking great, and I'm actually excited for the the upcoming you know junior title match with uh, him and Hiromu. I think it's definitely going to be it's kind of a good uh, turning point for him. It's just getting him cooking this year. Yeah. So then the uh, semi main event of the evening we had TJP and Will Ospreay from United Empire. Defeating Taichi and Yoshinobu Kanemaru from Just Four Guys, thirteen no, minutes and ten. Not from Just Four Guys, they were Just Four Guys. <laughs> they beat four guys. Uh, just two guys who were just four guys. No, <laughs> <laughs> two guys that were four guys that are part of Just Four Guys. Um, the ace of the ace of podcasts. <laughs> um, they lost via the Hidden Blade. Uh, Will Osprey once again uh, hitting a nasty uh, Hidden Blade to get a win here. His time was on Kanemaru. Uh, I'm loving this this feud between Osprey and Taichi. Once again, another heated program that they're building up. These guys are in each other's faces. Um, you know, we're seeing you know a more intense Will Osprey. He's trying to rebuild after the loss of Kenny. He he's laying those strikes in there. Uh, you got Taichi, he's trying to prove himself and, you know, showing that, you know, the old guy, the olds can, can still run it with the, some of the younger talents. Yeah, and you know what else, too? Um, and I'll speak to what you mentioned there because that, that, that's all true. But um, I really feel like 
Kevin Kelly and Chris Charlton have been fantastic on the last two shows. I know last week I was a little bit critical and I, I you know, shared some criticism about some of the calls that they did on the last big new beginning show, but you know, that's sort of an anomaly and it's not the regular with these guys. They do a really, really good job uh, going out there and kind of telling the stories that are between these guys as well as calling the action. And I really felt like with them being in Japan, it helped a lot with the call. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I had mentioned last week how I'd heard that there was some negative feedback from a certain subsect of fans about their call during the Noah New Japan show. I went back and watched some of those matches and I got to tell you, they were incredible. Anyone that like was critical of what they said or how they called the action during that show is out of their mind. Like they were so, especially during the Okada Kiyomiya stuff, they were incredible. Uh, but I digress. As far as Will Ospreay and Taichi goes, I'm loving everything between these two guys because a lot of people forget they do have history from their days as juniors, but even more so. Uh, just before Wrestle Kingdom, when um, Will Ospreay was starting to make the jump, the transition from junior to heavy, his first really big test was probably, or not his first big test, but like his last test before he like made the solid jump to uh, heavyweight was Taichi, who was the never champion at the time. And this like in December of like, what, 2019 or 2018? I don't even remember. Yeah. But... They had an incredible match. Will Ospreay had a broken foot back then, and people were, you know, saying how he got one of the best matches out of Tai Chi that anyone had ever gotten, which I think people by that time who were paying attention already knew that Tai Chi was extremely talented. It wasn't just all Will. Mm -hmm. But these guys have had fantastic matches, and I think they're going to have another one, especially with where they're at in their careers. Will, during the backstage comments, was talking about how Taichi has nothing left to give him. And, you know, it's it's sort of like if Taichi wins, it's all positive. If he loses, he's just a loser anyway. So he's exactly where <laughs> he, he was. Mm-hmm. So Will needs some stakes. And he's like, what does this man have that I haven't already taken from him? Because I've already beaten him so many times. And he's like, Miho Abe. He's like, <laughs> I heard you single out there. Hit your boy up. <laughs> this man, Will, is trying to steal his girl. Bro, I hope he shows up with Miho Abe for that match. Because can you imagine the crowd reaction and the heat if he... Like, I heard other podcasters speculate about how they would reintroduce Miho Abe, if at all. And I think this is the way you might want to do it. Like, bring her in and let her be on the opposite side of Tai Chi. Like, oh, bro, my heart is like... Dude. (laughs) That would be yeah, definitely a high drama, high stakes there. Yeah, adding Miho Abe to United Empire, uh, being an Osprey's new manager, it would definitely add a new wrinkle to this. Another thing too, just for guys. Now, granted, the name is stupid. Granted, I don't know what kind of creative the company actually has, what the grand scheme is. If they've got big plans in place for them. My my gut and my mind are both telling me no. They probably don't. But did we fucking forget who's in Just Four Guys? Taka Michinoku, one of the greatest legends in the history of junior wrestling. Yoshinabu Kanemaru, one of the greatest juniors, the preeminent junior in the history of Noah. Taiji, who's 
a fucking killer, like a motherfucker that like, yeah, underneath all that opera singer bullshit, like he will drop you on your dome without hesitation and yeah. then like palm fist you. <laughs> and then um who else is in that group? Doki. Oh, and then and then Doki, who's never gonna go the man, back. Man, never going back. This man's doing back. sentons off the top to the outside, crazy yes. wild dives. This man's not going back to Mexico. Okay. And I, I hate to be that guy. I'm not trying to disparage anything that happens in AEW, but there's a lot of like kind of ragtag groups that have been put together in AEW. None of them have impressed me the way that this group has already, even without with very little like long term creative plans, you know, seemingly on the horizon, even without the support of Minoru Suzuki and Suzuki Goon. These four guys are going out there and killing it on this tour. Because they're extremely talented. Even if two of them are old, even if three of them are old, and then you got Doki, who's like just doing whatever it takes not to go back to the to the slums <laughs> of of Mexico. Like these guys, kind of rock. And I'm not going to be surprised if down the road there is some transition from just four guys into something bigger or better. Because they're really like working their asses off on this tour. Yeah, and something I forgot to mention uh, when we were talking about the Taka match, you know, uh, they brought back Taka doing, you know, a ring announcement and kind of a pre-match thing where back in the day. He used that's to, kind of getting over. Yeah, he used to do the Zack Sabre time back in the day, and now he's, you know, doing, you know, he says to the opponents, you are already dead. You're already <laughs> dead. Bro, when he said that, I popped, and I'm like, dude, we've seen all throughout the history of wrestling, catchphrases work. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Look at Taka's history, even before Japan, well, not before Japan, but, like, after, you know, in his earlier days in WWE, he's like, you know, he would cut the promo, blah, 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 but, like, he wasn't really cutting it, and then Funaki would be like, indeed, Indeed. (laughs) and, like, it was highly racist, but it got over, and they were, like, a big act on the undercards of WWE, and, like, it was something that you could, like, you know, market and franchise and put in video games, and they did, and everyone loved it. It's, like, one of the most remembered things of, like, the Attitude Era. Like, Taka's not an idiot, and he he did have a big hand in getting uh, Zack Sabre Jr. over all those years ago, and I, I think that this group is slowly but surely getting over, even if the company, like, isn't even that far, like, that invested or behind them, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, it's awesome to see uh, what they're doing, and, and they're killing it right now. Uh, we did have a question here from OKOK890. Is it just me, or are the preview tag matches on this tour better than usual, particularly the just four guys, you know, Empire and Chaos, plus Young Lions versus TMDK matches? Yeah, I mean, we, we already touched base on that, so we I, I think we've kind of given our, our thoughts, and we echo those same sentiments. I, I can't add much more to that, but I agree with, Everything you just said, all those matches have been awesome. Yeah, absolutely agree. Like we're saying, there, there's focus here with these programs. There's heat. There's um, you know genuine interest, and it, yeah, it's been awesome to watch. Also, Ty, TJP has really like clicked and been awesome in this uh, program as well. And then the last thing I have to say, Will Osprey again, just fucking killing Doki with uh, well, the it was, uh Kanemaru in this match. Oh, that's right. Yeah, so just killing everybody with the <laughs> hidden blade. Yeah. So then uh, main event this night, we had Kazuchika Okada and Toru Yano teaming up with the Roughneck, Shota Umino. They defeated the LIJ team of Sonata, Shingo Takagi, and Tetsuya Naito 
14 minutes and 40 seconds when Shooter, he hits the Death Rider on Sonata, uh, getting a, a big uh, pinfall victory there uh, over, you know, a guy that's, you know, top upper mid Carter, former New Japan Cup winner, former IWGB title challenger. So really a big victory here for Umino as he builds momentum into his matchup with Tetsuya Naito. Yeah, I'm not the best at recapping the finish of matches the same way you are, Jeremy, but the way I recall it was it sort of felt down the stretch that we were going into into one of those moments where, like, it looked like Umino could have been the guy that was about to lose. Mm -hmm. And then they sort of flipped the script on its head, and they had hit. He was sort of isolated in the ring, and he started just beating everybody, and then he caught uh, a non-legal man in Tetsuya Naito who was trying to hit him with the uh, Destino, got out of that, hit him with the Death Rider, laid him clean out. So then it was just him and the other legal man, Sonata, countered whatever he was trying to put him in, hit him with the Death Rider, gives him the one, two, three. And so he's standing tall over not just Sonata, but also his current rival, Tetsuya Naito. And he's fully victorious laying out Two of the oldest and most prominent members of LIJ it was pretty shocking. Yeah, and it was also the first time you know he got to cut the the closing show promo, and you know based off the translations, you know he was kind of pulling some of uh you know some of the John Moxley saying he's going to be the the paradigm shift in New Japan Pro Wrestling, and you know it seemed like he cut a pretty you know confident show closing promo. So yeah, they're really you know getting behind Umino here. Um, you know this big win here, laying out Naito. This feud's getting really heated, and yeah, he's coming off great. You know, and it's kind of interesting too, where you look at this on paper, and granted, Yano doesn't take a lot of clean falls, but he's the most pinnable of the six men that were here. Me looking at it logically before the show happened, I would have easily assumed that Yano was going to be looking at the lights at the hands of, you know, Sonata or Shingo or something like that. But right. They went a little bit more of a bold route and chose to kind of really solidify Umino in this match. And kind of goes to show you, like, I, he might not be beating Naito in this feud, but they're doing everything in their power to make sure that we all know that he has the capability to beat him. And not only did he cut that promo at the end of the match, and not only did he knock out Naito, but he knocked him out so well that Naito couldn't wake up while he was cutting the promo. And, like, his faction members had to come roll him out of the ring and, like, they had to put ice on him and, like, sort of carry him to the back. And he he did it. His cell job was so good. It kind of reminded me when Bob Backlund, dropped the title to Diesel in Madison mm. Square Garden, how he sold all the way up the ramp to solidify Diesel as the new star. Yeah. Very similar to that. Like, Naito made sure to, like, never wake up. Like, he was just, like, completely out of it, getting carried to the back by the Lions and by LIJ stablemates. Like, he was fucking done. From, yeah. From, from just one Death Rider. Yeah. And so, yeah, really putting over that Death Rider finisher, putting up over Omino, Presenting Umino kind of on the same playing field as a Tetsuya Naito and really showing, like, yes, yeah, a young up and coming guy who's one big victory away from becoming a superstar. Yeah, aside from that, too, it's very telling that Sonata has taken another big loss here in a short period of time. We 
saw what happened recently with him and Chingo backstage. There's kind of been some buzz. Something's going on with him. His post-match comments seem to indicate that he's uh, not happy with where he's at. He's thinking he might need to rebuild, restart. People are wondering, is this the end of him in, in LIJ? And we've kind of always said at some point, and I'm not saying it's happening here, but if it were happening, it might not be a bad idea for him to leave LIJ because there's only so high you can go when the guys above you are Shingo Takagi and Tetsuya <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, and and it, they seem to be telling a story that he's on a losing streak and he needs something, and that seems to be the case. Yeah, and even if Shingo and Naito weren't in the same faction with him, he would still be, well, if Naito's there, he would still be like a number two if Shingo wasn't there. And even being a number two of a faction, you're not necessarily going to be like the IWGB champion or really pushed as hard as the number one guy. We're seeing that now with Zack. Like, Zack was kind of in that number two slot in Suzuki Goon, and now he's the front man of TMDK, and he's getting more of that uh, big push. In, in recent times, like, the top guys in a, in a – and I'll just kind of expand the parameters, not just factions. I'll also kind of include Hontai. Let's think in the past decade how many number twos have reached the upper echelon. Okada – when he was under Nakamura, and it's fucking Okada. Abushi, when he was in Hantai, and you could probably say, like, Tanahashi's really the de facto leader of Hantai. Mm-hmm. But it's Abushi. <laughs> and then Shingo Takagi under Naito. And it's Shing- you have to be one of the greatest wrestlers that has ever lived in the history of professional wrestling <laughs> <laughs> to, to be a number two guy and also be at the top of the company at the right time. Like, it's really, 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 really hard to do. Yeah. Oh, we had a few questions here. Uh, first, from Rambone's Slam Pig. He says, a question mostly about the returning young lions. You guys have a preference in regard to finishing moves. Do you prefer an impact driver type move, a submission move, or does it really depend on the character? Any thoughts on what best suits uh, Suji or others? I'm fine with any of it, to be honest with you. Um, Me personally, I like when guys have a wide range of finishers, not just one particular finisher that we all know is their go-to. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think uh, Christopher Daniels was really great at doing this. He had, like, the angel swings. He had the BME. He had the Koji clutch. Like, he had a a various uh, series of moves that he could finish you with. I'll give you another example, and this isn't like – it's not like Zack Sabre Jr. and Jonathan Gresham who are like technical wizards and can finish you in a lot of different ways. Or like Sonata's really great at that too. He's got like, you know, he's got his impact finisher. He's got a submission finisher. He's got the roll up pin, all that sort of stuff. But like, look at the rock, you know, mm-hmm. he had the rock bottom and the people's elbow, but he also had the sharpshooter. People forget about that one. Mm-hmm. He could beat you in any three of those things. I like that. I like when guys have a multitude of ways to, believably beat somebody even will osprey has gotten to the point now where yeah he's discarded some of his finishers but he's also gained the hidden blade i i wouldn't be surprised if down the line he gains another aerial finisher yeah i could also see him doing a, a submission finish as well right and and not only that i'm not even necessarily a proponent of fixed finishers in general maybe that just comes from like my fandom of like shoot style wrestling or like you know 1970s world of sports style but like 
I think that there should be many different ways that you can beat somebody. I think uh, Brian Danielson is a great example of a guy who can finish you in many, many different ways, whether it be a roll-up, you know, a special type of pinning situation or an impact finisher, or he has multiple submission finishers. I mean, all that stuff's great. Yeah, we're even seeing this now in like a lot of the more modern uh, wrestling video games. Like they usually have like a finisher. You you can have an aerial finisher, a submission finisher, an impact finisher, a behind finisher. You can have multiple finishers now, and I think it, it's great to do to have that in actual wrestling. Um, and you know, for example, like Umino, right now he's focused on the Death Rider, and I think that's cool. But he's going to evolve and he's going to add stuff to his repertoire. And so yeah, I think it's great for them to have yeah an impact, a submission, an aerial, and yeah, it's all great. Listen, when I was wrestling <laughs> and I'd be training, I'd put someone in like a top wrist lock and I'd be like, ask him. <laughs> I'd be like, that's not a finisher. And I'd be like, everything I do is a finisher. <laughs> <laughs> so that's kind of my like psychology behind it. I could beat you with anything I'm doing. It doesn't matter. Headlock, yeah. finisher. <laughs> Did you hear about like the, the time like Paul Heyman was trying to pitch like a headlock being a finish for Mark Henry? No. <laughs> <laughs> what? No. Well, he's like he's the strongest man, the world's strongest man. So if he gets you in a headlock, like he can crush your head. Like, I can get it over. Like you know, every week he puts the headlock on somebody. You know, squeezes them, they pass out, they tap out. Like he wanted to get the headlock over for Mark Henry's finish. That might have worked. Yeah, it could have. <laughs> Um, Senior Saburo 3K says, uh, considering we know that Okada is facing Kiyomiya on the 21st of February at Tokyo Dome, does this ruin the buildup to the defense against Shingo? As we know, Okada is not going to lose in the build to it. Equally, Kaito's defense against Jack Morris on 12th of February. Okay. Realistically, I don't think either of these guys are dropping their titles. But... To play devil's advocate, what if one of them does drop their belt beforehand? How would that hypothetically affect the marketing and perception of the match going into it? What if Okada goes on a two-match slump and drops the title to Shingo, and then drops the t- and then drops a loss to Kiyomiya? It's possible. Uh, it's very possible. I'm not saying it's likely. Let me let me point it to. Uh, uh, let me explain it to you this way. When Ken Shamrock was doing shoot fighting, right, and he was working for both Pancrase and the UFC, which were both legitimate, you know, fighting companies. But the owners and top, I guess, matchmakers, I was going to say bookers, but sometimes <laughs> they were bookers and sometimes they were matchmakers, were uh, Masakatsu Funaki and Minoru Suzuki. And, like, Shane or um, what? What's his name? Why did I forget? Shamrock. Yeah, Ken Shamrock was going to the UFC at UFC nine. No, I'm sorry, UFC I think ten or eight, something like that, uh, in Detroit, and he was going to fight Dan the B Seven, who he had already defeated previously in the UFC, and he was the current reigning Pancrase champion. And if he had gone as the Pancrase champion to fight Dan Seven for the UFC quote-unquote super fight title, he would have been the de facto number one world-ranked unified champion of all of MMA, both in Japan and in America. But Dan Severin 
was the current reigning NWA World Heavyweight Champion, a fake wrestling company. And the NWA name in 1995, 1996 still carried a lot of like weight in Japan. And dude, they were really, really scared that Ken Shamrock was going to lose to a fake, even though like Dan Severn's like a, one of the most decorated collegiate wrestlers of all time, even though he, you know, was like an Olympic alternate and all this stuff, they were afraid that the papers would print that the real fighting champion from Pancrase got beat by the fake wrestling champion from America <laughs> in Dan Severn. So they made um, Ken Shamrock drop the, t- the Pancrase title in a work shoot match to uh, Minoru Suzuki before he went over to fight uh, Dan Severn. Because they didn't want the guy that they were afraid was going to job to lose face just in case. They did it as an insurance policy. What if, hypothetically, we all think Okada is going to win, and it is the likely scenario, but what if Kiyomiya is going to beat Okada, which is totally possible. We, we talked about it last week. Like It's not likely, but they might want to continue the program. Right. And if they do, Kiyomiya might beat him. Maybe they make him drop the title before he ever goes in. So he's not so he's just going in as ace and face of the company and not necessarily world champion. And they put the title on Shingo as a make good. That's all possible. Yeah, I mean it definitely happen if because if you want you don't want Kiyomiya beating the IWGP champion. So if you get the belt off of Okada, yeah, that increases the chances for Kiyomiya to get the win. Then again you then again you could go that way because uh, in the past, Kensuke Sasaki did lose a match to um, Toshiaki Kawada when he, in, in a non-title match. He lost a match as the champion to Kawada. And then afterwards, like it was like, damn, this all-Japan dude beat our reigning world champion. And what did Kensuke Sasaki do? He vacated the title because <laughs> he lost his honor. <laughs> so, I mean... There's precedence either way. Yeah. Um, granted, you could look at it in a more traditional sense and say, yes, it, it, it probably is leading to both guys going in as champion, and they're probably both going to defend successfully, especially considering that, like, Shingo's the KOPW champion. I, I don't see him walking around with both with the light blue belt and the black belt. That yeah. seems <laughs> absurd. He's not Roman Reigns. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, he yeah, he's one of the greatest wrestlers of all time. Yeah, he's not Roman Reigns. Um he's a first bout Hall of Famer. He's not Roman Reigns. Yeah. But um anything's possible. Yeah. And then the last question here, okay, okay, ninety says with Sonata's post match comments after the Shota loss, it seems like New Japan has something brewing for him. What do you think it is? Does he finally win the New Japan Cup? I hope not. Anything's possible, especially in 2023. Crazy stuff's been already going on so far, so maybe. I just don't see this guy as being um, champion material, and since I don't see him as being like a legitimate contender for the title, they should stop putting him in those positions unless they intend to strap him up. If you want to put the belt on Sonata and, and give him a run, why not? You did it with Watanabe. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean... <laughs> Sonata's a good wrestler, and when he's in there with the right guys, he can have really good matches. But 
Um, like you're saying, I think he, I think a good thing to kind of freshen him up would be to break off from Lij. Um, I would, I wouldn't want to see the whole New Japan Cup route. We've kind of told that story. He's won that. He had the matches with Okada. Uh, couldn't get the job done. Um, so I think potentially giving him his own faction, or if you you want to stick him, reunite him with Evil in House of Torture. Um, I, I think there's definitely he needs something different to do uh, if he's going to advance any further than where he's at. Earlier today, I did listen to Super J Cast, and they mentioned how one of their less listeners, I don't remember who it was, but they had uh, sort of implied that there were certain verbiage that Renderita was using that was very closely aligned with the same verbiage that uh, Sonata has been using in his backstage promos and might imply a potential partnership if there is a split with LIJ for Sonata. Hmm, that's interesting. Yeah. I mean, could you imagine hypothetically like a, a unit that's like Suzuki, Sonata, Despi, and Narita? Or even if it even if those, you know, Suzuki guys are not involved, just like a unit led by Narita and Sonata necessarily, that might be I mean, because that might make sense because Narita's sort of like in that John Moxley status right now. He's sort of in no man's land. He doesn't. He's here. He's graduated, but he doesn't have a group, and we know that that can't persist long term. You have to have a unit at some point. Yeah. So yeah, lots of interesting uh, scenarios there to go uh, with Sonata. Um, so let's talk about the second night of the Rhodes New Beginning that was on January twenty fifth, also in Cork and Hall. Show opened up. We had Aaron Hanare defeating Oscar Lube uh, with a back spin kick, eight minutes and forty four seconds. So, I very, love the black mask. <laughs> uh, very similar to the the opening match with uh, Great O'Connor the previous night with uh, Hanare just kind of uh, you know showing his dominance and wiping the floor of a young lion. What's up with Hanare like being into this like um, Andrew Tate shit? Have you seen that online? Well, what do you mean? You don't know about that? No. You know about Andrew Tate, though, right? No. (laughs) (laughs) It's weird because I'm so, like, non-computer literate, but I kind of know what's going on in the side, guys. Like, Jeremy's much more, like, computer savvy, but you don't seem to be as connected with what's going on. (laughs) I haven't. Who's Andrew Tate? (laughs) (laughs) He's that, like, bald dude, like, the misogynist guy who's, like, brainwashing all the, like, middle school kids and, he got picked up in, like, uh, Romania for, like, sex trafficking. You didn't see all that shit? Nah, that, I missed that. Oh, my God. <laughs> all right, you're going to need to do your own research here. All right, I do my research and come back on that. <laughs> yeah, but, like, uh, I don't know. Like, I've seen shit where, like, Hanari's been, like, posting. Like, he's got, like, this masculinity book. But, like, some people are saying it might be, like, toxic masculinity. I don't know. I haven't looked enough into uh, it. The only thing I've seen from Hanare was him jumping, you know, into snow in his underwear. <laughs> what? <laughs> well, hey, if, um, you know, if Goto can sit, you know, naked underneath, a, you know, ice cold, you know, uh, rainfall, then I see no reason why Hanare can't jump in his underwear into, you know, the snow. <laughs> Uh, well, anyway, yeah, he, he got the win here <laughs> with the with the backspin kick. Um, so yeah, so and I think we I think we kind of is who's he facing in Tamashi? Is it Caveman Ugg? I think I think so. Yeah, yeah. So I think that that's kind of what he's gearing up for next. Yeah. 
Then after that, we had the uh, Bebop tag team of Tanahashi and Yano. They defeated the Bullet Club team of Gato and Kenta via a schoolboy. So we know we had some uh, shenanigans here. And once again, similar to uh, Yokohama Arena, Yano was able to take advantage and get the uh, schoolboy win over Gato. I've got a theory. If they don't show up with the pompadours and the jackets, then it's not really Bebop t- uh, tag team. Mm, it's just- sort of like when him and... Makabe come out together if he doesn't have bleach blonde hair and he doesn't throw a chair at somebody they're not really the most violent players mm, so it's all about the attire and the aesthetics and the mm. vibe then <laughs> uh, after that we had a uh, bullet club's cutest tag team of El Fantasmo and Taiji Ishimori defeating master Wato and Togi Makabe with the sudden death so once again ELP uh, gets the win over a New Japan dad with that uh, sudden death super kick. So once again, just really heating him up for his upcoming Never Title match. And once again, we had uh, some heat with uh, Ishimori and Wato. Yeah, fuck you, Makabe. <laughs> Eat a sudden death. <laughs> uh, then we had uh, TMDK, all four men, defeating the Chaos team of Goto, Ishii, Yoshihashi. And they were teamed up with Yuto Nakashima. This time, uh, Fujita picks up the win with a arm lock over Nakashima. Uh, so big win here for Fujita in this uh, multi-man matchup here. And this is all due to you know Zack Saber Jr. Um, instructing him and teaching him, showing him how to do these submissions and doing this arm lock. And like you mentioned in the previous match we talked about on night one, these young lions really have heat and beef. With uh, Fujita, you know, Nakashima was all over uh, Fujita in this matchup, but um, it was the the experience of teaming with Zack and learning some mission holes. He was able to get that on Nakashima and get the win here. Yeah, man. Um, Very rare that we see a young lion pick up a win. Obviously, there will be times where that happens when they're slotted against another young lion in, like, say, a tag match or, like, a singles match. But generally speaking, those matches are going to be only involving other young lions. We never, hardly ever, see a young lion beat another young lion when there's veterans or dads or what have you in the match. Mm-hmm. So this was very unexpected. And the the finish of the match was really great because we wound up with um, Fujita putting the double arm lock or the key lock or the... Kimura, whatever name you you prescribe for that maneuver, he's applying it to uh, Nakajima, and then Zack Saber is also applying the move, and then Zack wrenches on it, steps over the guy's head, and applies extra pressure, and kind of gives a visual cue for Fujita to also do the same thing, and then Fujita does it, and then Nakajima like fucking taps, bro. I lost my mind. I couldn't. <laughs> I couldn't believe that a young lion won a match, even against another young lion, in a match with other big stars. And that, that just never happens. I was really, really shocked. Yeah, I was shocked too. Because, yeah, you think, yeah, young lion, or either Nakashima's going to get pinned by, you know, Goto Ishii or Yoshihashi, or Fujita, once again, is going to lose to, um, or the other way around, uh, Nakashima would have lost to one of those guys, and then Fujita would have lost to uh, one of the Chaos guys. So, Either way, you, you would expect one of these young lines to, to get pinned here by one of the veteran guys, which usually happens. But yeah, with Fujita getting the win here, that was kind of a you know a change in kind of the booking patterns. And you know, we 
had a mandate of, you know, we talked about from management saying that they want these young lions kind of fast-tracked and to not be in a young lion process as long as they typically are. And so maybe that's kind of part of what this is with this whole uh, Vegeta storyline and, and teaming with uh, Zack Sabre Jr. here and getting the win here with the arm lock, which leads into a question that we got from MJ's PR. Is Vegeta going to have an excursion or nah? Um, I don't know. I mean, okay, that's that's a great question. I hadn't even really considered. Is that something that you were asking or someone else was asking? That was an MJ does PR. I didn't catch that. I just thought that was your question. <laughs> but um, I hadn't really considered that. But, you know, I do think that um, excursions are very beneficial for all the reasons we've discussed in the past getting other world experience, growing up, you know, living just different experiences and everything that kind of pertains to that, plus learning learning to work different styles, working up and down the card, yada, yada, yada. But we've seen lots of times historically where big stars and different guys just didn't get afforded that opportunity, whether that was Hiroshi Tanahashi or um, Nakamura, different people who didn't get a traditional excursion. Now, there were times where they were sent abroad at some point, but they weren't gone six, eight months the way that we've seen guys in the past. Um, Is it possible that they decide to keep some of these guys around and maybe fast-track them if they think that they're progressing and are able to sort of ingratiate them to the crowd via the method that they're using for Fujita, I think that's entirely plausible because you have to ask yourself, and it's something we've talked about on this show, what happens when he does leave? Is he still sort of like an extended member of TMDK? When he comes back, does he automatically get grandfathered into the group? Maybe he's only a member of the group as a young lion, and then when he leaves, he's a fully renewed, reformed, character that has no ties to his former self you know maybe he mm-hmm. joins house of torture we don't know maybe he's part <laughs> of straw dog stray dog army you know it, it's hard to say but um it might make sense that he never does leave in the traditional sense and they sort of graduate him in the group that wouldn't be that different from what we've sort of seen it's not quite the same but like we've seen the la dojo guys right they kind of roll as a pack mm-hmm. we've seen them kind of graduate in their own group on their own show anyways might be similar to that right and i think too you know i don't know exactly what's happening you know off camera with uh vegeta and zach but maybe vegeta really is like training with zach before his shows or spending more time with you know these guys in the dojo and learning from zach learning from tmdk um, I mean that in a way that's kind of an excursion and learning experience right there. He's learning that that British style from Zack Saber Jr. He's learning stuff uh, from TMDK uh, Nichols in haste. Um, so he's get, he's under a learning tree right now. He's learning a lot. We're seeing him use, you know, like we mentioned, some of Zack Saber's moves in these matchups. So he is learning. Um, you typically wouldn't see this. So he is getting some kind of a learning experience while being with these guys. Yeah, and I mean, I wouldn't have any sort of um, any sort of issue if they decided to like just have this be a temporary thing, and then you know send him off on excursion, and then he does his own thing. That would be totally fine if this was just 
a temporary measure and that's just part of his trajectory. Yeah. Likewise, if they go the opposite way and they decide to keep these guys tied to one another long-term, I'm fine with that either. The good thing is that this is kind of unique. It's kind of new and it's very different from what we've seen all throughout the, you know, most recent past when it comes to the line system and kind of, we were sort of concerned, especially me, I would say about, the idea of revamping the system in certain regards. And there were, there were a lot of questions. There were a lot of things that was like, I don't know if that's going to work, yada, yada, yada. But so far what they're doing has seemed to be sort of like, let's meet in the middle. Instead of just totally overhauling the system and putting these guys in like neon green tights <laughs> and giving them you know their own theme music and characters this is sort of like a middle road and i'm sort of here for it i like it because it's very very different one thing that zach said in the backstage promo comments he said that bujita's going to be the first ever young lion to win a title as a young lion that's never happened and like i'm like dang is that something that's like about to happen that sounds crazy yeah that's nuts that would be really cool if that if that was uh that happened to vegeta uh, so moving on to the next matchup, we had uh, Great Okan and TJP. They defeated Taka Michinoku and Yoshinobu Kanemaru. Uh, uh, Okan getting the sheep killer on uh, Taka Michinoku to get the win there. Yeah. Um, as far as that match goes, I mean, I don't really have much more to add except for pretty much what we've said in the past. You know, Takan and Kenamaro are doing really, really great. And Okan sort of has rejoined into, you know, we saw him in singles action the night before we got to see him here in a tag team. And him and TJP, they looked really great together as a unit. Yeah, and clearly, you know, they're kind of trying to rebuild, rehab Okan after the loss to Shingo. So he got the win on the first night with the Young Lion, and now he gets to win here in this tag match. So trying to get him back on his winning ways, as well as building up the uh, junior tag program uh, with TJP and uh, Kanemaru. So in the following matchup, we had another uh, United Empire versus Just Four Guys match. This time it was Francisco Akira and Will Ospreay. They defeated Doki and Taichi. With the hidden blade, once again, Osprey knocks Doki's head off with the hidden blade. This is why I got the night prior confused because he did beat Kanemaru on the twenty fourth, but on the twenty fifth, he did in Doki once again. And uh, all four of these guys, supremely talented, love this match. One thing I thought that was interesting, Francesco Akira, and I, I don't have all the the notes in front of you, but he mentioned how. Since him and um, TJP have won the junior titles, they defended them successfully many, many times. And every person, or at least one member of the team that they have uh, defeated in their either winning the belt or defending the title has gone on to do something, you know, substantial in New Japan. And I mean, the most recent example of that would be like Leo Rush and Yo. They beat them and then Yo goes on to challenge for the the IWGP junior title and he kind of pointed out a couple other things that happened for other people I don't recall exactly but he was like you know so basically Doki and um who's he team with Kanemaru yeah he's like 
you guys shouldn't feel bad because losing to us might like mean like really good things for the rest of your career. He's like, he's like, seems to help a lot of people when we beat them. Oh man, Akira and TJP, awesome team. Looking forward to their uh, title match against uh, Doki and Kanemaru. And I kind of feel like those two guys would be tag team of the year if they had like caught fire at the right time. They like kind of came at that in between period of the grading periods. Yeah, and you know they might be in for another strong year. They might be trying to break um, what is it, uh, Taguchi and yeah, Go-Go. yeah, their junior tag record. Um, so yeah, I mean they could have another strong year and could uh, potentially you know win tag team of the year. Well, I put out that tweet not too long ago about how there weren't many in the past decade. There's been only three champions for the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Champion that have defended successfully four or more times. Mm-hmm. And the last time was in 2016 when Hiromu had his first title reign. Since then, it's been this has been a title in flux the entire time. And I mentioned how like now might be the time for them to have like a long reigning substantial champion. Uh, of course, Robbie Eagles jumped into the mentions and he was like, you know, not if I have anything to do with it. And he sort of ratioed me on our own fucking tweet. <laughs> but uh, you look at the junior titles, and we've kind of thought that this group was going to drop the belts many times, not because we didn't believe in them, but just from a booking pattern. There's been very few teams that have held the title and defended it multiple times for a sustained period in the past decade. I think that this, since Apollo Gogo, this might be one of the most successful title reigns we've seen you know, for a long, long time. Yeah, it's been awesome. They're a great team. Um, so uh, after that match, semi-main event, we had Sonata and Naito defeating Umino and Tomioka Hanma, thirteen, uh, fourteen minutes thirty-two seconds uh, via jackknife hold. So Naito and Sonata getting a little bit of revenge here, uh, getting the victory this time, and Naito was able to uh, lay out Umino with Destino this time. Yeah, this uh, finish where they do the jackknife rollover hold from uh, Hanma Naito is sort of like their go-to finish. Anytime those two guys are in a multi-man tag team match, this is going to be the finish. So wasn't surprised by that one bit at all, but it was kind of kind of nice to see Naito get a little bit of a measure of revenge against Naito, and, or I'm sorry, against Amino, even though they, I don't know if you've noticed, like they kind of look like yeah, like Umino counts like a alternate universe <laughs> Naito. <laughs> Everyone talks about how he looks like Tanahashi, but like when I saw the match graphic for them facing each other one on one, I was like Naito. Like it's like the mirror match from like uh, WrestleMania the arcade game. You can play like a version of yourself. Yeah, there was one show where they were both on, and like Umino came out, and then Naito came. Out. I was like, why is he out here again? I'm like, no, that's that's a, that's a different guy. <laughs> They're not the same. A, B, that's racist. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, so building up this matchup, Umino Naito, good stuff here. Um, then the main event, we had Kazuchika Okada and Yo teaming up with Taguchi to defeat uh, Bushi, Hiromu, and Shingo, 14 minutes and one second via the direct drive. So Yo getting the win over Bushi, really getting momentum going into the junior title match coming up this weekend. Yeah, and part of that match was Hiromu's been coming out with this master plan, this game plan. If you've seen in the past during, like, say, the best of the Super Junior tournaments, he'll always come out with a a, a big, at like, 
I don't even know what you call it, but it's like a sketch pad, like huge, huge notebook things. Yeah. Yeah. And he'll write in the names of all the competitors and stats about them and draw pictures and whatever other fucking twisted stuff comes out of the mind of Hiromi Takahashi. <laughs> well, he's done something very similar for his upcoming title defense against Yo, but it's a game plan. He's been studying tape. He's been watching this man and trying to figure out all the shortcomings and the way he's going to defeat him, even though every time they face each other in singles action, he beats him anyways. <laughs> I don't know why he needs a game plan, but he, he writ out, he, he, he's written out his entire master plan. Well, at the end of the match, yo was able to obtain the master plan and hold it hostage and keep it away from Hiromu. So now he has access to the inner, the inner thoughts of one Hiromu Takahashi. He knows exactly what he's been planning to do, how he's going to, you know, capitalize on the shortcomings of Yo and, and the ways that he's been planning to attack, and he's going to turn all of that on its head. And Hiromu is not happy about this one bit. He's been <laughs> losing. Once they went to the backstage promos, he lost his shit. Um, and I got to, like, wonder again, like, I don't know if, I don't know. The, the whole thing's kind of far-fetched, but it's also entertaining, so I don't know. Yeah, it's definitely been uh, hilarious to watch. Yeah, Hiromu's meltdown is kind of what's going on between him and Yo building up to this junior tag, uh, excuse me, junior title match. Uh, but it's definitely intriguing. Like we mentioned, you know, Yo's kind of you know reinvigorated since teaming with Leo Rush and showing a lot of fire. And this program has been interesting so far. And I think you know we've seen them have uh, really good matches in the past. And so with some more juice here to this uh, rivalry, I think this match can be really great. Yeah, and um, obviously Okada Shingo, I think that, I don't know if there's as much fire and heat behind it as there were for, like, their first couple, you know, matches, especially maybe, like, say, the Wrestle Kingdom match they had a couple years ago. Mm -hmm. But I think they're still doing a great job kind of showcasing the strengths between these two guys during these multi-man matches and making both of them look very formidable going into that match. And then, obviously, the... uh, the visual of them two standing side by side with their respective title belts, you know, it's a good visual. Yeah. Also, I just want to say for anyone that was out there thinking that, remember when they were talking about, oh, hypothetically, they might put the KOPW title on the line and then unify it into the IWGP heavyweight title? That would have been so fucking stupid. And here's why. <laughs> You don't introduce a new type. You don't pay a belt maker to make a multi-thousand-dollar belt for you, so that you can decommission the belt one month later. Right. If they were gonna get rid of it, they would have did when it was still a trophy. They would have done it when it was still a trophy. They they literally introduced a new belt that has side plates that <laughs> include the names of the reign of the final champions year over year. And it has spaces for decades to come. There's no way they were going to decommission the title and the gimmick a month later after they did that. If they, well, I mean, who knows new Japan does weird shit, but like that would have been so stupid to pay however much they probably like 10,000 or more for a new belt just to get rid of it a month later. What, What sense would that make? None, none at all. <laughs> and I'm not saying I love KOPW. I mean, sometimes I think it's funny. Sometimes I hate it. But that just doesn't make good business sense. I don't know. Yeah. 
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. All right, so uh, let's move on. We got uh, two shows coming up this weekend, two new beginning in Sapporo shows happening at the Hokkaido Prefectural Sports Center. So we'll start with the show on February 4th. It will open up. We'll have Great Ocon taking on Oscar Lube. Then we will have El Desperado, Minoru Suzuki, Ren Narita, and Ray Oiwa taking on all the House of Torture. Then we'll have the Chaos team of Goto, Ishii, and Yoshihashi teaming up with Yuto Nakashima to take on all of TMDK. Then we'll have the Bull Club team of El Fantasmo, Jay White, Kenta, and Taiji Ishimori taking on G.O.D. of Hikaleo and Tamatanga, Hiroshi Tanahashi, and Master Wato. Then in the fifth match, we'll have Okada, Yano, and Yo teaming up with Taguchi to take on the LIJ team of Bushi, Hiromu, Sonata, and Shingo. And then the three big matches on this card, sixth match of the evening, we will have the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Tag Team title match as Catch 2-2. Francisco Akira and TJP will defend their titles against Doki and Yoshinobu Katamaru from Just Four Guys. Semi-main event, we'll have Tai Chi versus Will Ospreay. And then the main event of the show, Tetsuya Naito takes on the roughneck Shota Umino. So before we jump into the top three matches, seems like the first five matches of the night are essentially other versions of, you know, preview matches for the, the remainder of the feuds on this uh, tour, but the big difference that I'm seeing is probably the inclusion of Jay White and then Hikaleo and Tamatanga, the the three guys that have probably been missing from this, um, from this tour so far. Am I missing anything else? Uh, No, I think that's kind of the big additions. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. So, I mean, top to bottom, I mean, even though, you know, we've been critical in the past about them, taking a lot of great matches and sort of, you know, splitting them over multiple shows to try and pop different houses. And I understand why they do that from a business perspective. We've been critical of that, but for how entertaining and also the, you know, how entertaining the, the new beginning tour has been so far. And then also there hasn't been a plethora of road two shows. You know, it'd be one thing if there'd been five road two shows already, and then we're getting, a majority road to undercard that'd be different but since it's been like 
you know, the last show we had was on the 25th. It's the 31st now. We're not going to get another show until the 4th. A lot of time is going to have passed by that point. And these guys have all been putting their working shoots, their their working boots on and really, you know, doing a, a great job entertaining us. I feel like that undercard's still going to be pretty strong, even if it's not top to bottom, you know, a Wrestle Kingdom level show. Right, and they've been doing a lot of like heated angles as well. These multi mans we forgot to mention um, in that TMDK match from the second Road to Beginning show. There was a great post match angle where TMDK is like trying to do sit on the apron celebrate and chaos. Ishii was having none of it. Right, they kept brawling with those guys all around ringside. Uh, Vegeta and Nakashima are brawling. TMDK and Bishamon are brawling, and like they just kept taking the fight to them, and like they would leave them laying. Try to celebrate again, and then chaos would come back and still try and like come at them. Yeah, and we've kind of you and me, we've been in this mode. Maybe I'd say I, I, I'm not sure if you have been, but I know for sure I've been in this mode over the past three years where we get a show like this, and then I'd be like, whoa, 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 be on the alert. You just never know; there might be an angle. And then right, we watch alert, the show, yeah. and nothing happens. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because prior to that, we've been conditioned for so many years that on a show like this you might get a little tidbit here or there. It might give you a little taste. Mm-hmm. Well, I feel like we're in that like realm where that's definitely on the table. I'm not saying groundbreaking, earth-shattering stuff. You know, we're not going to see Kenny Omega show up on the screen to challenge, you know, Osprey, but there might be things that occur on the show on the undercard to forward the feuds that are ongoing. Right. Uh- so... Yeah, so let's uh, talk about the, the three big matches, uh, do uh, predictions for those. So for uh, Catch 2-2 defending against uh, Doki and Kanemaru, who you got? You know, I love this match top to bottom, especially since Kanemaru is, you know, here and there when Kanemaru is called upon and, and it's needed and it's the right time, he really does show up in a big way. Other times he's a little bit more judici- judicial when it comes to his output, but... Ever since J4G started, he's kind of seemed like he's needed to, like, really step up his game, and he's done that. But I find it really hard to believe that now's the time that they're going to switch the belts off of Catch-2-2. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah, these guys have been on such a roll right now. And like we're mentioning, you know, they're kind of trying to they, – they've said themselves, you know, they're trying to, you know, harken back to, you know, great junior tag teams of the past. So clearly they have that record – from Apollo Gogo in mind and wanted to break that defense record. So I can see these guys either tying or breaking that defense record this year. Here, here's the thing. If um, if they put the title on Doki and Kanemaru, I'm not going to complain one bit. I'm going to come on the show and I'm going to be like, hell yeah, Doki got his first like title. This is awesome. <laughs> like Kanemaru hasn't held gold in a while. This is incredible. Actually, I should say silver because those belts are not gold. It is funny how they call every title gold, but most of the belts in New Japan are, like, actually silver, but whatever. Yeah. <laughs> um, or even, like, for instance, I was thinking about this. Um, the Motor City Machine Guns were, like, we're, dri- we're, we're, you know, we're bathed in gold, but both, you know, major tag team titles that they hold are literally, like, silver. And silver. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I just don't think the company's going to put the junior – they could, of course, it's the junior titles, but I just don't see them putting the junior titles on Kanemaru and Doki. That's my main thing. 
So I'm going to go with Francesco, Akira, and TJP and expect them to continue on because they've already invested in this point. They might as well keep going. But this match is probably going to rule. When yeah. you look at all four guys like and the work they've been putting in, and I try to give them a little bit of a shout-out, but like it was probably understated. TJP has been fucking phenomenal on this tour, as, his, as has Akira. But TJP, even his promo work has been awesome and one thing we we forgot to mention is how there's this underlying story where Kanemaru's trying to um isolate and expose this like Achilles heel that TJP has with his left leg and he's very good at telling those kinds of stories where he isolates a leg or a limb and not to say that this match will be a body part match it's not going to slow the match down quote unquote but expect that to come into play yeah um, so, yeah, I agree with you. I think Catch 2-2 is going to retain. I think the great thing that happened in Junior Tag League, they created a ton of really great teams. So there's a bunch of teams that can come out and challenge Catch 2-2 for the remainder of the year. Uh, Bro, how many times have we called for that, for them to do that exact thing where we've complained about those tournaments? Like, why is this happening if you're not going to establish tag teams? And then they've, you know, and then for years and years and years, it was just, Rapongi 3K, Rapongi 3K, which I love those guys, but they didn't ever build foils for them. Well, now we've got some other teams built up, and it's kind of nice. Yeah, I know Kushida and Kevin Knight are doing stuff in, in America. Those guys can come in and challenge. Um, you know, Chris Bay and uh, Ace Austin also doing stuff, still representing Bullet Club. So there's so they many. Need to call, they need to call the Heavenly Butterflies, is what they need to call Tony Donati and, <laughs> and uh, Babu Andre. Yeah, uh, yeah there, there's so many great uh, junior teams that they use in the tournament, even just around the world. Uh, like you mentioned Machine Guns, who are the current uh, strong open weight tag team champions, as well as the Impact Tag Champions. There's so many great teams that can come in and have great programs with Catch 2 2. Uh, so semi-main event, Taichi and Will Ospreay, possibly the battle for uh, Miho Abe's heart. <laughs> we'll see if she gets involved, but uh, who you got here? Um, one thing I love Will Ospreay said, he's like, just four guys when you break it down, it's just four losers. You guys <laughs> lost every single multi-man tag team match on the way up to this tournament or uh, to this uh, big show. He's like, you're such losers that, you know, Suzuki abandoned you. He didn't watch you guys. Literally, all you guys do is lose. And then he was like, and then the last time you and I were in a title shot, I beat you. I beat you every time we wrestle. Mm. <laughs> He's like, so what more could I ever take from you? You guys are just four losers. That's literally what you are. That being said, I do find it hard to believe that Tai Chi is going to beat Will Ospreay. Anything's possible, of course. Yeah. I mean, I guess it depends on, like, how far do you want to go with this redemption rebuild of Will Ospreay? Do you want to well, break him down? Okay. Do you want to break him down to the very bottom? Like, have him lose here to Tai Chi, and he really has to scrape and claw to get his way back to Kenny. I don't know if I would say losing to Tai Chi is like the bottom of the barrel, but it's quite a huge setback considering where he was just a few months ago. Yeah. Yeah. I don't necessarily mean like bottom of the barrel because it's Tai Chi, but just like, I think like you're saying, everybody's expecting Will to win this match because clearly the story is Will needs to win. He needs to do all his stuff to get back in, you know, in the rankings to get a shot at Kenny Omega for the U S title. And I don't think anybody's giving Tai Chi a chance, but like you mentioned all those comments of Osprey saying, you're a loser. I beat you. Like, you guys have lost all the multi-man matches. 
it kind of makes it feel like Osprey is getting too cocky. He's overlooking Tai Chi. He, he has a sight set on Kenny Omega, and Tai Chi could pull the upset. Um, we've seen him use that, utilize that Gato clutch for quick near fall wins. He could catch Osprey in the st- uh, stretch plum. He could hit a Black Mephisto. It can come out of nowhere, and I think it could be intriguing to have Tai Chi pull this upset. I agree with you, and you know, and I'm not saying that from a company line. Like for instance, you know, like. Kevin Kelly does a really great job, like being real, but also kind of straddling that kayfabe company line. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That's not what this is. I genuinely do think that there is a narrative and an interesting story that could be told and, and a compelling story if Tai Chi wins. Kind of like how I pitched Kano beating Naito, even though they didn't go that way. But I also think the smart money is on Osprey. I just, um, I feel like if, Osprey were to lose, of course, that's a setback, and then there's definitely a narrative you could tell. But I'm also thinking, like, he probably should beat Tai Chi to reestablish himself and then move forward to whatever whatever's next because they've clearly got some sort of 12-month plan in place, you know, who knows what, what the relationship is like with AEW right now. I couldn't tell you. But um, clearly there's some sort of intention for them to do him and, and Kenny again down the line, whether that's sooner or later. I think that he probably needs to pick up the win here. And I feel like it's one of those things where like it'd do more damage than good if he lost, personally. But he could lose, and that might not be a bad way to go. But I, I think that the smart money's on Will Ospreay winning. Yeah, I'm going to go. I'll see what a smart choice here, Osprey, But I would not be surprised if Tai Chi pulls the upset. Um, and then the, the main event uh, with Naito versus Shota Umino. We had a question from Rambo and Slab Pig. Do you think the Naito versus Shooter feud continues past this one-on-one match, or is it likely to be settled at Sapporo? If so... What would you like to see each guy get up to between now and New Japan Cup season? Are both men's lock for that tournament? Well, I think first and foremost, Tetsuya Naito has a date with Destiny with one Kijimuto in the Tokyo Dome. And based on that main, I mean, there's other things we could take into consideration, but based on that one main um parameter i think that he's probably got to pick up the win here regardless and kind of go into that match on a winning streak um also i think umino is sort of as good as umino's looked he's had great matches his body's in great shape he's got good music good look i do think that there is something missing I don't know what it quite is. I I think he's got charisma. He's good on the mic. He's got it factor. I'm not saying that he's not, um, you know, I'm not saying like he's like, oh, there's something missing and he's never going to have it. But I think he hasn't connected all the dots just yet. I don't think he's fully formed. And I kind of felt that way, just to kind of give you an example, in a different way. I felt similar about Great O'Connor when he first showed up. You know what I mean? Mm Mm-hmm. There's a little bit of growth that was still needed. I think that Naito beating Umino will be a learning experience and will kind of kickstart the the real trajectory of his story because we thought that was going to start off when he lost to uh, 
Osprey, but that's sort of been put on the back burner, and he hasn't done much since then. This is the first real, true major feud that he's had that's been built over, you know, since December essentially, mm-hmm. going all the way back to the road to New Beginning, and they can pick this back up somewhere down the line, whether that is in the New Japan Cup or somewhere else, I don't know. But I do think Naito needs to hand him his first loss, and then we can kind of rebuild the kid. Um, and I do think it's going to continue past this. I don't know if it's going to be like an immediate rematch. It might be like later on in the G1. It might be one of those prolonged spaced out feuds that New Japan and Gato are very famous for doing. As far as the New Japan Cup goes, are they both locks for it? I couldn't tell you. I would imagine so, but we don't even know what the format's going to be. We don't even know how many guys are going to be in the tournament. And for that reason, I couldn't tell you who's going to be in it. Yeah, I mean, just based off of, obviously, it, it being Tetsuya Naito and the way they're pushing Umino, I would expect both these guys to be in New Japan Cup. And to me, it kind of screams first-round match for New Japan Cup. You you have Umino lose here, and then he could you know pull that, that you know, night one upset and, and beat Naito in the first round of the New Japan Cup and get him out of there. Then you, you build to a, a third matchup with Umino and Naito. So, yeah, I think this is kind of the first of matches in their quote-unquote rivalry like it's not going to be your traditional you know western rivalry where all right they have this match this month and then they're going to have an immediate rematch in the next month and it's kind of this whole back and forth i think it's going to be the more new japan style where it's you know spaced out so they'll have this match here in february then they'll do the new japan cup thing and then maybe they won't have the third match until like g1 um and so it's kind of spread out throughout the year um, so, yeah, I think we're both in agreement with the winner. I think, yeah, with Naito having that matchup with Kiji Muto, he definitely has to pick up the win here. Oh, um, breaking news. <laughs> I don't know. It's breaking news right now. Maybe do you want to wait for the news to get this breaking news, or you want me to tell you right now? Uh, tell me right now, since we're in between going to the next show. So we'll talk about it during the news. Obviously, Kotobushi, free agent, no longer with New Japan. They announced him for GCW this past week or earlier today, and they did announce that his first major show back is going to be at Bloodsport 9, Josh Barnett's Bloodsport 9. Jeremy, what's the one match you would want to see at Bloodsport for Kota Ibushi if you could have any dream opponent anywhere in the world for this guy right now? Hmm. Let's think of of a wrestler of the year contender. Wrestler of the year contender? In Bloodsport, uh, I don't know who who is it. We are getting Kota Ibushi versus Speedball Mike Bailey. Wow! Yeah, bro. Oh it, man! Yeah, bro. It's ha- even though we might not be spending much more time talking about Kota Ibushi on the show. <laughs> yeah, and they also <laughs> did, they, they just sent the email out from Tokon Shop Global saying, you know, get your Ibushi merch now because it's going to be gone in five days. Well, I never bought any to begin with, so that's convenient. But, <laughs> but man, <laughs> we're getting him in speedball, bro. Man, too bad I don't want to go back to LA. Otherwise, I'd go see that show. I know it's like the first <laughs> time, first time since like 2017 that well, at least I'm not going out to to Mania weekend. I have no, I have no interest or intention to go to WrestleMania weekend. Yeah, man. Maybe if it was on the East Coast, but yeah, flying all the way. If it was here, if it was like in Philadelphia or something, maybe I might go or Chicago. I don't know. But yeah, yeah, but going all the way to LA, yeah. Gonna go to LA to to watch a subpart indie scene. Come on. 
I don't know. You, you got a Bushi and a Speedball Mike Bay running around all weekend. That sounds fucking awesome. Yeah. <laughs> um, so let's talk about uh, night two of the new beginning in Sapporo. Will happen the, the next day, February fifth. Same building, Hokkaido Prefectural Sports Center. Show open up will have United Empire. Francesco Akira, TJP, Great O'Connor, Will Osprey. They'll take on just four guys. Then we'll have Desperado, Suzuki, Renderita, and Yuto Nakashima taking on the House of Torture. Hiroshi Tanahashi and Master Wato will take on Kenta and Taiji Shimori. Then we'll have ELP, Gato, and Jay White taking on the GOD team of Hikaleo, Jado, and Tamatanga. Then we'll have Okada and Yano teaming up with Taguchi and Shota Umino to take on Bushi, Sonata, Shingo, and Tetsuya Naito. And then the three big matchups on this night. First, the sixth match of the evening will be for the IWGP Tag Team titles as Bishamon, Goto, and Yoshihashi will defend against TMDK's Mikey Nichols and Shane Hayes. Semi-main event will be the NJPW World Television title match as Zack Sabre Jr. makes his first defense against the Stone Pitbull Tomohiro Ishii. And then our main event for this evening will be for the IWGP Junior Heavyweight title. As a champion, Hiromu Takahashi looks to make his first defense against Direct Drive Yo. Yeah, so again, echoes many of the same sentiments that I had on the previous night. I think that top to bottom, these multi-man tag team matches look really good. Uh, again, if we were looking for an angle alert, it's more likely to be on the 125 show than it is on the 124 show. Um, uh, 2-4 instead of 2-5. God, yeah, sorry. <laughs> I'm thinking of like last week's uh, <laughs> Cork and Hall still. Yeah, the, the two four and the two five. So the two five is probably going to be the more likely one to have angles. But um, let's look at these top three matches. Yeah. So first up, the tag team title match of uh, Bishamon against TMDK. Like we mentioned, um, they've done a great job kind of building up the, the heat and rivalry between these two teams throughout the road to new beginning. And you know. TMDK, they're like you mentioned earlier, they're on a hot streak. They've gelling really well together. I could see Hayes and Nichols pulling the upset here in uh beating Bishamon in, in their first defense. You're not alone on that, and I think there's a lot of people pulling for that to be the outcome. Now, this TMDK team did really well in um the World Tag League, and they ended up just kind of slightly getting eliminated out of the finals, but that was very much in play going down the last couple nights of the tournament. There are a lot of people that are saying that they kind of need to pick up the win here to kind of stay relevant and be mainstay players because if they take the loss here, it's a pretty big setback. That's two huge setbacks for this team in a row. And they've got a lot of momentum on their side. So I see a lot of people out there kind of predicting them to win. My counter argument to that, and I, I'm sort of on the fence. I think it's a, I think this is as close to a 50-50 proposition as you could present out of all these matches. Bishamon have been a very successful tag team. Obviously, they're back-to-back World Tag League, uh, tag, you know, World Tag League uh, tournament winners, but they have never really had prolonged successful 
heavyweight tag team title reigns. And for that reason, you might want to argue, like, for them to kind of be seen in that same realm as, like, say, your Briscoes, your FTR, your Usos, your, uh, you know, Young Bucks, they kind of need to have a definitive title reign. And that might, this might be the time to sort of establish that, you know? Yeah, and we're kind of seeing that with a lot of the titles. I feel like they're trying to establish um, some longer title reigns. And, um, you know, New Japan's not known for its tag team division, but, um, you know, they've done a great job of building up Bishamon over these last uh, several years now. Got the big win over FTR in the Tokyo Dome. So, yeah, I, I think it, it could make a ton of sense for them to get the win here. I don't think it hurts haste or nickels because Sabre's getting pushed. They're doing a whole story with Vegeta. So I think TMDK will still be in the spotlight and haste and nickels will be fine if they lose. Um, but it does just feel like the momentum swing is with um, TMDK and haste and nickels. Um, so I'm going to go with them getting the upset and, and winning titles here. I'm going to ride with you too. I don't know if I would call it an upset, but I agree. I think that they should pick up the win here. And here's the main reason why. I think it just makes more business sense to establish another top-tier tag team. You know, um, this company isn't one that's known for having a strong tag team division. And when you do have a definitive tag team, I think it's a good idea to award them and establish them. So you kind of have them in play when it comes time to have those titles in big matches at different periods of the year. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. And if you have an FTR available to you once or twice a year, and then you've got an Aussie open and then you've got a team DK and then you've got a Bishop on, that's a pretty healthy tag team division, not to mention what's going on with the Renaissance down in the junior division. I think that it's nothing but beneficial. If you put the, the straps on them now, as opposed to making them wait doing the whole redemption thing. I just don't think that makes a lot of sense for these guys, especially since there's so much momentum behind Team DK to begin with. Bishamon are not going to be damaged in any way if this if they lose. And I guess neither would Team DK, but they also wouldn't be established. Bishamon are already kind of established. Let's establish another tag team. Let's get this, this division rolling. Let's do it. Exactly. And also, too, similar situation with Catch 2-2. They established a lot of heavyweight tag teams in this uh, past World Tag League that could defend, uh, that could challenge TMDK. There's obviously a an Aussie Open matchup that's there. They've been building a rivalry with those guys on Strong and in Japan. So I think that's kind of a, a big money match for some point in this year. So yeah, I, I really like the, the the outlook of TMDK as a tag champs. So then the uh, TV title match, Zack Sabre Jr. against Ishii, 15 minute time limit first defense of the title since Zack won it uh, January 4th at the Tokyo Dome defeating Ren Narita uh, we, we've seen what Sabre and Ishii matches are all about like you mentioned earlier we were live in New Orleans for the Rev Pro title match with uh, Sabre and Ishii these guys always have amazing bangers uh, the Wrestle Kingdom match like you mentioned too so I expect another great matchup between these guys um, but uh, I think you know like we mentioned TMDK they're hot right now. I think uh, Saber is going to retain here. Yeah, I love this matchup. I love when these two guys wrestle one another. But let's face it. Not only is it Zack Saber Jr.'s 
first title defense of a fledgling new title, new concept, but it's Tomohiro Ishii. And yeah, they, they might put a never title on the guy, and they might use him as a utility player, but they're not going to have him beat uh, Zack Sabre Jr. and go with the title in 2023. Yeah, no way. <laughs> and if you think I'm crazy on that, just go take a look at his records. Go take a look at his performance in, in singles matches and multi-man matches. And, you know, I really feel like that never six-man tag team run was sort of like a, a signifier to us that, like, we are downcycling this guy. We've seen – I mean, if they'd wanted him to be in play for the title, they would have had him beat Renarita in the first matchup of the first round in the first place. They didn't do that. This is not a guy that they plan to have carried the the big brown, as I like to call it. <laughs> oh man! <laughs> so you know, I love Ishii. Would I would do? I think that putting Ishii in hard hitting fifteen minute matches sounds incredible. Yes. Do I think that you know Obari and Sagabayu, Sugabayashi and like Ghetto and you know. All those guys. Who, who else am I missing? Who else is on the management team with the IWGB committee? Uh, Abari. There's Abari, Sugabayashi, and oh, and Kadani. Yes. Yeah. Do Do I think that that these four men believe in Ishii like I do? No. Those, those do. four guys. Those just, those just <laughs> the. Yes. The, one of them is I. One of them is W. The other one's G. One of them is P. And that's the committee. But uh, yeah, no, I think Zach's winning here. Yeah. Uh, then the main event, junior title match, Ticking Time Bomb Hiromu versus Yo. Got um, some questions here from MJ Does PR. Says, I have a prediction. Yo is going to beat Hiromu, so Hiromu can have bizarre adventures at his junior festival. And then he says he has a request. Do, you do your best, Kevin Kelly, and sell me on Wato versus Yo for the junior title. <laughs> Um, so I am actually looking forward to this match for the reasons we mentioned earlier. I think they've done a pretty good job building it up. Plus, it has been a while since Romo's had the title. I will say this. I was disappointed the last time these two guys had a major title match against one another. Since then, they've had some um, super junior matches against each other that have really delivered, especially the one from the, uh, Dece- the last December super juniors from a cup, you know, two back. That one was really great. Um, so we know they can deliver if prompted and, and allowed to. And I'm hoping that we get that more so that than we did the first time we saw them fight for the title. Um, I don't think Yo's winning here, considering the fact that Hiromu's about to face uh, Amakusa. Is that how you say his name? I think Amakusa? so. Yeah. Yeah. Amakusa? Amakusa. Yeah, I don't think he's going to drop a title to Yo, Marty Onetti, <laughs> before, he, uh, before he fights somebody in the Tokyo Dome in the third from the top. I don't think that's happening. Also, there is a junior festival, and, like, it's Hiromu's baby, and I, don't, I just don't see him putting over Yo and putting the strap on him and then also being involved in the All-Star Junior Festival. So not likely, but, you know. Hey, if, if you're right, MJ, we will pay you all the respect and let you do a victory. We'll let you send in a pre-recorded victory lap dunking on both of us <laughs> on this show. How about that? Uh, yeah, I, I don't think Yo 
really stands a chance here. But like you said, based off what we've seen of their last encounters, it should be a great matchup. But yeah, I think this is all Hiromu here. Like you mentioned, there's so many signs that are saying it makes sense for Hiromu to uh, get the win here. And uh, I, I don't know how to do a, a Kevin Kelly and sell Watto versus Yo. I don't know how to do a Kevin Kelly either. Like, I've never sat there and listened to him and thought, like, I need... Actually, you know, I have thought, like, I've listened to him and thought, my God, I could never do what this man fucking does. This is incredible. That's usually the thought that I have. Mm -hmm. But um, I do have a background in sales, so let me try and sell you very quickly on Watto. In the off chance that Yo were to win the title from Hiromu Takahashi, that would be, like, a major, major major upset right mm -hmm. and then in the event that yo or that wato does the same thing in defeating ishimori in a singles match to become the number one contender you're talking about two of the biggest underdogs right now in the entirety of the the division two guys that have their rabid fan bases and supporters and people that really believe in them against all odds kind of crescendoing with all of the momentum, all all the everything that that basically would be behind them with those two massive wins converging against one another in a do or die situation because we've seen both of these guys at the lowest of lows and now they would be at the highest of highs and whoever took that loss would be fucked. Can you imagine? Like, and then not only that, the guy that wins that would be a huge feather in their cap to basically be the one that's like, nah, son, like, I know you're, you're, you're rising, but like, you're not going to rise above me. That would be something in, in, in that event. If it were to happen, I would be all in on Watto versus yo. It's never going to happen, <laughs> but if it were to happen, like that story would be incredible. Two guys who cannot afford to lose being thrust in a situation where one of them has to lose. Oh, that's incredible storytelling. Well, you, you did a great job. Yeah. Putting it together, selling that story. Um, but like I said, it's not going to happen, but if it, if they wanted to happen, you got the story right there. Well, uh, let's move on now to uh new Japan strong. The uh, last ever new Japan strong. <laughs> well, it's dead. Well, the last of this form, we'll have some updates. What, on the, what, what did uh, what does um, <laughs> what does Taka say? You already die. <laughs> yeah, you already die. New Japan Strong <laughs> Nemesis Saturday, January twenty eighth, eight p.m. Eastern, number four. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, we'll talk about what's happening with Strong in the news, but this is the last of Strong in this format. Um, Bro, this show. <laughs> what a what a way to go out! <laughs> what a way, what a, should I, I think I made that joke last week, but I was being facetious. But bro, what a way! Oh my god, they they subverted the expectations and they really really oh, sent us off. This must have been the end of the tapings because like <laughs> this crowd was dead. <laughs> Bro, I 100% I believe that this was not the end of the taping. I 100% believe that this was in the middle of the show before they caught their second win and went home happy with, like, something bigger and better because there was much better stuff on the show. I, I totally think that, like, the match with, like, Eddie Kingston, that 
Jay White came out, that that's what ended the that's, show. That's true, yeah, yeah. And I think that this was like the the like eighth match, like the this match was probably like the middle of the road. Like Fred Rosser and Peter Avalon were in that Hulk Hogan Madison Square Garden Saturday Night Main Event middle of the card spot. They were the number six match, and nobody gave a fuck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. So yeah. So we had a uh, Blake Christian defeating Kita. I mean, fine opening match. No, match, no heat. No heat. Nothing I could say there. The only thing I'd say that was good, Blake's putting on some size. And he came from behind, and he did some really incredible turnbuckle offense. And if you don't know what I mean, maybe go watch the match, because he just kept throwing this dude into the turnbuckle to set up his finish. Yeah. Also, apparently he's in a, in a, a blood feud with Juice Robinson, who was not on the show, and cut a promo about how He's going to get his hands on Juice. Yeah, they wrestled on the last tour, and Juice cheated to beat him. Well, he he's tired of being all heart, Blake Christian, and maybe it's time for him to become no heart. <laughs> <laughs> uh, then the uh, second match of the evening was uh, Mystico from CMLL defeating Mysterioso. 12 minutes and 8 seconds. Uh, I will say this. And maybe you disagree with me, Jeremy. My favorite lucha match in the history of New Japan Strong, personally. Yeah, I mean, it was a really fun matchup. I just wish the crowd was into it more. I feel like Mystico was really killing himself and doing some really cool stuff uh, and getting like very little reaction to the crowd. Obviously, they weren't really familiar with Mystico. Bro. I mean, this guy is a legend in mexico how can they not know mystico he was in wwe for years we but he, all but watched he was him. sin cara and then they switched sin caras and we played with him on smackdown versus raw for years and years and years and you know what this man was used to this is how you know this man came from wwe this crowd was dead and he didn't give a fuck he was going out there and giving it all like it was saturday night or like it was a you know like a velocity Hulu main event yeah like a velocity <laughs> taping you know, he was on main event once again, <laughs> working, uh, you know, Tyson Kidd, just fucking killing it. Yeah. But, yeah, this was, was a lot of fun. Uh, uh, Mysterioso got a chance to shine here, and he was really, you know, kind of the bigger bruiser here, Mystico having to fight from underneath, but having some really kind of cool comeback moves, hit, you know, the big Spanish fly off the top, which is one of his finishers. That was uh, awesome. Mysterioso kicked out of that, which it all built uh, the, the La Mystica, the head scissors into the, the arm bar. Mysterioso's in some ways, and I mean this in the most respectful and affectionate way, kind of like a muscle-up copycat of, Mysteri- of um, Mystico. Yeah. So seeing Mystico and him lock it up, very, very fun. It reminded me a lot of the great Mystico muscle man lucha matches we've seen. What I mean by that is like him in like Ultimo Guerrero and Mephisto and different people. So we've kind of seen this same archetype played out many, many times. When you have a great base like Mysterioso, that allows Mystico to do amazing things. We've seen him do that with like Cabanario and Volador. He was flying in this match. It was awesome. Yeah, I, I, felt, I loved it. I, I felt like it was Fantastic Mania. <laughs> yeah, bro. This got me ready. 12 minutes, 8 seconds. I'm an easy three and a half on this one. Yeah, it was real fun. Match of the night. 
Yes. So uh, that should probably tell you how I feel about this main event. <laughs> so, yeah, so main event, the uh, strong openweight title, Mr. No Day's Off, Fred Ross. Before we start, video package. Yeah, I got a nice little video package <laughs> uh, showing what, what went down between Rosser and uh, Peter Avalon. Um, it led to the match. Yeah, Fred Rosser uh, defeating pretty Peter Avalon to retain the strong open weight title, 12 minutes and two seconds. And, you know. Oh, bro, this match sucked. <laughs> this match sucked. This program sucked. And I'm ready to say it, Jeremy. I, I've been a little bit hesitant I know we want to be respectful of the wrestlers, and I do. Listen, we've been very complimentary of Fred Rosser as a performer, what he has brought to the table, all of his, uh, everything that he has improved upon with his game. And yeah, we make fun of his promos from time to time, but we've never questioned his heart or anything like that. But I will say this: this title reign is a fucking flop. There has not been one single compelling or entertaining title defense since he won that belt from Filthy Tom Lawler. And this is just another in a string of disappointing title defenses that I've been forced to sit through. Yeah, I don't think it's Fred's fault. It's definitely, I think, the booking. Somewhat, but I don't know about all that. Well, I think part is the booking. I mean... I agree. You look at Tom's reign. Tom Tom was defending against Brody King and, and Narita and all these like great guys. And who have they been giving Fred Rosser like Peter Avalon? Um, who else has he defended against? Yehi. Yeah, Fred Yehi, which had like no build. Kratos. Yeah, like they they did not give him the best challengers again. Hey, I, all right, here's I agree with you. I agree with you. If Tom Lawler was put in that same spot, he would have built those matches up to where they were really fucking compelling and the matches would have been really good. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, which obviously Tom has the skill set to do that. And and it's clear that maybe Fred doesn't. And so as the booker, you need to protect your champion. That's true. And, and help great point. And help create the compelling feud if you know that he's not gonna be able to do it. The the old Paul Heyman. Hide the negative accentuate the positives there's a lot of positives with with uh fred rosser but there are some negatives there's things that maybe are not part of his skill set i don't think that they've been accentuating the positives necessarily right now this match started off and one thing that was it it just was awkward because peter avalon who by the way is shredded he's in great shape yeah is he officially with AEW? because they announced him as part of AEW, but i didn't think he was like back back yeah, I think he's, like, on a, a per-date basis, I believe, with them. Well, I guess he's allowed to just advertise he's with them because they're like, AEW, Peter Avalon. <laughs> <laughs> but he's yoked. And then um, they bring out Fred Rosser, and then he gets – Peter Avalon gets on the mic. He's like, shut off the music, shut off the music. And then they do it. I don't know why. I think he probably paid off the people in Vermont, Hollywood, or, you know, the production staff. And then he starts cutting a promo, but like the promo is awkward because it's like real insidery. Because he's like, "Oh, Mister No Days Off, Mister, I'm quitting the business, Mister. Take a week off, take a month off, take years off." He's like millions of dollars, millions, of dollars. and he's obviously alluding to something to where Fred Rosser was out of the business after the WWE stint. But it just. It was awkward because his music was going, and then his music wasn't going, and then he cut the promo, and then they're fighting, and then 
Fred Rosser beat him, and then Fred Rosser goes back to doing the posing. It was just, in theory, it sounds maybe like it could have been cool, but it wasn't. <laughs> yeah, you, I totally agree with you. It was so awkward. It's like, yeah, he he came out, and then, yeah, this guy's cutting a promo on him. He mops the floor of him, throws him out the ring, does his, finishes his entrance. It's like, and why, then they lock up. <laughs> why do I need to see this? Like, he just mopped this dude in like a few seconds, threw him he over. Him. <laughs> and then, and then the, 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 the ring bells, and they go into the classic catch as catch can collar and elbow style lockup. I mean, I'm like, what? Actually, I don't even. Here's the thing I don't remember if they actually did that, but that's just what I'm imagining happened next was like, he, they, they announced them, they did the intros, and then these two guys circled each other. And then locked up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> After they'd already physically touched before that. I don't know. It was right. weird. Again, not a ton of crowd heat here. You know, well, the crowd did not care. You know, Rosser called himself the people's champion. Well, he was not the people's champion on this night because we have a, I don't want to call him a friend, but there was a mutual acquaintance of ours. I won't even say his name on there because I don't want anyone to look him up and give him any sort of uh, publicity. But there's someone that I know. That, like, post, you know, one of these fans who, like, is not a fan of New Japan, but just, like, a, a troll. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, like one of those troll wrestling fans, which is most of them. Not the, not you guys listening. You guys are smart. I'm talking about, like, the, the others, and you know what I'm fucking talking about. But um, he posted this thing that, like, showed Peter Avalon attacking um, Fred Roster. And he's like, oh, my God, they've got Peter Avalon challenging for a title in New Japan. They've really fallen off. And, like, normally I wouldn't respond to this kid shit, but I was like, it's fucking New Japan strong. And, like, no one acknowledged me like I was Roman. No one acknowledged me. <laughs> but, like, there was, like, 40 comments like, oh, my fucking God, these guys, they've lost. Like, it's people that literally have no clue about Japanese wrestling. They just see a blue mat. They see Pat Peter Avalon. <laughs> and they're like, New Japan, Peter Avalon, blue mat. This company has lost its way. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But, like, I don't know. At the same time, if you're trying to attract those kinds of people, is this what you want? Do you, do you want to promote Peter Avalon? <laughs> right. <laughs> Holding up a gold belt I, in your Cerulean blue mat. I don't know. I, I think this main event in this episode is the perfect reason for why what's happening is strong is what's happening. Yeah. So, anyways, to make a long story short, uh, Fred Rosser tapped out Peter Avalon, stood tall. I think Peter Avalon might have had some hope spots, but it really did kind of feel like Fred Rosser ran through him pretty much. Yeah. And then after the match, Kenta came out. They had a, a stare off. Fred Rosser, for the first time in his career, cut the promo about leaving with the three boots on correctly two <laughs> boots on his feet and one boot up his ass and he looked around at the crowd and no one responded <laughs> in any way <laughs> that's like one of those i remember um listening to steve austin talking about um some catchphrase that he tried to get over and he tried it for like four oh yeah <laughs> but I, what was it you oh man, I, can't, I can't remember what it was uh I don't remember who it was either, but he was like, yeah, I had to put that one on the back burner. No one's responding to it. <laughs> like, we love you, Fred, but you might want to put the, the three boots shit, that shtick. That might, you might want to go the way of Stone Cold and learn to call it a quits on that one. I don't know. 
The people don't seem to be popping for the the boot up the ash stick like your red foreman. I don't know. <laughs> oh man. Actually, you know what? If he if he did it like if he delivered the line like he was red foreman, I bet oh, you it would get over. It, it. Oh, it'd be hilarious. <laughs> oh, he's man. like, I can think of a place I like to put it up your ass. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. But yeah, so yeah, that was the uh, the last uh, version of Strong in, in this uh, format, and what a way to go out! Yeah, so next week we've got the next tour of Strong. No, we don't. <laughs> we, so let's jump into the news, and uh, we got some things coming up here. So uh, I guess I'll jump into it. The Japanese government has officially decided to lift the COVID nineteen restrictions on all events. It will take effective. Immediately, this was earlier this week. Therefore, audiences are allowed to cheer loudly, even at packed venues, wearing face masks. Now, keep in mind, any particular venue in any particular part of Japan can impose their own mandates. Perfectuals could still impose their own mandates, but these are the guidelines coming from the Japanese government. So we expect, by and large, most wrestling events moving forward. And this is pretty much across the board, not just wrestling. There's not going to be, uh, you know, this prohibition on people cheering. So we're pretty much done. We're moving into the period where we can get back to full cheering crowds next year. By the time Muto's retirement, um, Tokyo Dome comes up, if they're selling full, full-fledged, like, tickets, I don't know how many they're going to do, but, like, let's say it's forty or 50,000 or whatever, um, all those people will be able to cheer. Yeah, which will be awesome. We, we, we've made it through. <laughs> this, we uh, have, yeah, we've made it through. Like, it's fine. Like, the horror is over. We are on the other side. Thank God. Uh, and COVID's over. It doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> <laughs> um, going back to the New Japan Strong talk. So there was an update this past week. And uh, I guess I'll try and paraphrase it because there's a lot of text here. But essentially moving forward, all events that take place from New Japan Pro Wrestling in the U.S. are going to be carrying the branding of New Japan Strong. So New Japan Strong is officially, I guess, usurping the title New Japan of America. In addition to that, the weekly TV taping format of Strong is going to shift to a dual model. So that means very likely it sounds like there won't be hypothetically monthly TV tapings that persist for four to five weeks or whatever. Correct. Instead, we're going to have strong live and strong on demand. Now, this sounds confusing. Let me throw a caveat out there. This is all happening on New Japan World. This is not a separate streaming service. Some of this might take place on Fight as well, but it's mostly all going to be on World. Strong live will be events like Battle in the Valley on February 18th from... San Jose, that's sold out. And these are going to be pay-per-view events that will be airing um, in English on Fight TV or in Japanese on New Japan World pay-per-view. And so if you want to watch these events live when they occur from America, you pay pay pay-per-view for it. Otherwise, they will then air as part of a weekly four-part basis through the month as New Japan Strong, very similar to what we've seen from New Japan Strong in the past, right? Mm-hmm. 
This model is going to continue with New Japan Capital Collision in Washington, D.C. and Collision in Philadelphia from the world-famous 2300 Arena. The dual model will give fans on a budget the chance to stay up to date with the hottest action in the U.S. through their regular world subscription, while the very best live experience on the planet waits on pay-per-view as it happens. So essentially what they're doing is they are essentially doing what they do on Access TV. So on Access, you know, they they took Wrestle Kingdom, they broke it up into the four or five episodes on Access TV. They'll be doing that with these pay-per-views. So Battle in the Valley, it'll be, you know, an eight-match card, and then they'll break that up into four weeks of TV, quote-unquote, on New Japan World the following month. So if you don't want to pay the pay-per-view price to watch it live, you will have to wait a month, similar to people who watch Access TV, and then each week they'll probably air two or three matches from that the previous month's pay-per-view. So, um, there are things that I guess you and I should talk about before we move on with the rest of the news. Questions I have and just general thoughts. So, number one, I think that this will be an... Well, okay. Actually, before we move on to that, (laughs) let's talk about the elephant in the room. Mm -hmm. We had heard from various sources and people that were in the know who had talked to people that were in the know that, and just from all the inferences that there was some sort of forthcoming announcement about new Japan and new Japan strong. That was related to honor club mm-hmm. that has not happened. It seems to be based on this information we've received and based on the reports that TV Asai is involved in this. Yeah, they are sending their production crew to Battle in the Valley because they, you know, they talked about what's one thing they wanted to improve uh, was the production on the American, <clears throat> excuse me, on the American side of the shows, and so that's what they're doing. They're bringing the TVSI film crew for Battle in the Valley. We're going to get the traditional, you know, New Japan um, production camera crew for that show. So we're, we're going to get better quality um, shows here. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what that means. We haven't heard anything from Tony Khan since that last media scrum. Mm -hmm. They've been very quiet about anything else that pertains to Honor Club. It doesn't mean that there won't still be some sort of New Japan involvement, but there is wild speculation that there would be some sort of uh, amalgamation between the, the tapings or the two shows. And right now, that doesn't seem to be the case. It might change. I don't know. Yeah, uh, my guess is that New Japan strong wrestlers will probably just like be involved on the Ring of Honor show. Uh, yeah, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And it might even be a good idea to have some sort of cross promotion between the two products and have talent on both shows going back and forth. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That that's a possibility too. There might even be potentially still an avenue where they could show in the same way how AEW Dynamite and other AEW products are shown on New Japan World. Maybe there could be a, an avenue to have show or uh, to have a strong shown on Honor Club. That's also on the table, I would suppose. Yeah. But uh, it is very strange that that seemed to be, you know, near announcement and then we never heard anything and now we're getting this so that's kind of interesting um as far as 
the benefits, the, 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 the pros and the cons. Hypothetically speaking, it sounds like with this all being pay-per-view and them upping the production, right? Mm-hmm. Them bringing in TBSIE, this is all positive. And in theory, that is going to be the case. I mean, if you've got shows like Battle in the Valley, you've got stars like Eddie Kingston, Kazushiko Kata, Jay White, Mercedes Monet, yada yada, blase blase. Sounds incredible, right? That's much better than what we've been getting from New Japan Strong to a certain degree. I just wonder how you can continue to do that around the regular domestic schedule that we have going. Like when tournament season comes around in like April, March, August, May, that's all going to become very difficult to sort of continue to do that. And so that also makes me wonder how often is this happening? Is this a, are they going to try to do it monthly the way new Japan strong had been previously and sort of just, you know, fill that void. And even though they're saying it's new, it kind of just continues to be the same thing with up production and better star power. Mm -hmm. Or is it more like a four to five time a year thing? Is it a quarterly thing? Uh, We don't really know yet. Yeah, and with um, Capital Collision and Collision in Philadelphia, those are two back-to-back shows, a Saturday-Sunday. I think there was, those are in March, I think. Right. Um, so, I mean, that would be like eight weeks of TV that they filmed there. Um, right. And then the other thing, too, is like we've kind of complained in the past about what is their business model in the States? How do they make it profitable? And we've also talked about the business behind television. And with this being like a pay-per-view sort of thing, what's the price point? A, you know, B, is it going to still feed into New Japan domestic proper? Because, okay, it's all well and good if you give us a standalone show that's high quality, but if it doesn't have tie-ins and long-lasting effects with the greater product, then it's still just sort of this thing on its own that stands alone and, I mean, that's great if that's what you want to do, but you're also asking people to pay $20, $25, $30, whatever it might be for a pay-per-view. Is it going to be worth it to people? How do you get the buzz behind that, the the, the interest and everything? Also, it is great TBSA is coming with their production, but we've seen the snafus that have come from uh, pay-per-view production in the U.S. when they weren't like ready to do it over the past year or so. Is that going to continue, or is that going to be remedied? These are all things that I'm very, very interested in with this whole thing. Yeah, I definitely think it's a step in the right direction to, to yeah, have the TV Asai crew come out and film it. Um, as far as keeping the buzz up, I think you know the, the thing that they have to do here is somehow get the big stars on these shows. And like you're mentioning, you know, during uh, New Japan Cup month, during Super Junior month, during G1 month, like it's going to be very hard to do that, um, but I think that's going to be the key. Like You're going to continue to need to have a Will Ospreay. You're going to need to have your Ishis, your Suzuki's, your Tanahashi's, your Okada's. You're going to need those big marquee stars to um, attract people to these shows, which I do think overall that is a better way to get people in the building versus doing these strong tapings where you, you may or may not have some top domestic guys, and then you, you have it littered of all these indie guys or guys who are not 
really a part of New Japan. Um, so I, I think it's it kind of it's almost kind of what they were doing um, before New Japan Strong happened, kind of back in like 2019, where right they were you know they had the map and they were planning on doing all these U.S. tours and they were going to have it in between tours and they were planning to plan to bring the bigger guys to these tours you know in tampa we had like abushi and tanahashi and all these guys um so i think that kind of shifting back to having like the whole said the whole thing is you know less is more um let's not do these weekly tv tapings and have it bad production and all these guys like let's do a big pay-per-view production let's bring in all the big stars and then like let's just create a show similar to the access show similar to the show they do on uh, New Japan in Japan, that New Japan World show they do. Um, let's do that and capture people that way versus doing these weekly strong tapings in all these cities where you may get a hot crowd, you may get a cold crowd, you may have good production one taping, you may have bad production next taping. So I think it will help just create consistency as far as the quality. I think it will help draw fans because they're going to be having um, bigger talent, and if they can utilize, you know, in tournament season, if they can utilize some of the Ring of Honor and AW guys, if they can pull in, continue to pull in Eddie Kingston and, and people like that, you know, Wheeler, Utah, some of those crossover Brody King, some of those guys onto these big pay reviews. So I think that could help uh, in between when they're having these uh, big tournament seasons. I'm sure we'll have more to discuss in the future. One thing I will say, we reserve the right on this show to cover it as we see fit. So if we think that we need to cover it live and get access to the pay-per-view and <laughs> come on the air, we'll cover it that way. If we feel like it needs to be covered like New Japan Strong needs to be covered week to week for free <laughs> in the <laughs> world, we will do such. <laughs> um, in other news, Kazuchika Okada followed up his Tokyo Sports MVP award by winning the Wrestler of the Year award and Match of the Year for his G1 final win over Will Ospreay at 818 for Weekly Pro Wrestling. This is the biggest fan, fan voting award in Japan. Okada's 2022 win in the fan balloting is his fourth, having also won in 2012, 2013, and 2019. The top 10 in the voting were Okada, Kichimuto, Osprey, Keito Kiyomiya, Kento Miyahara, Tetsuya Naito, El Desperado, Satoshi Kojima, Yuki Yoshiaka, and Kano. Osprey won the foreign MVP award. The rest of the top 10 were Zack Sabre Jr., Jay White, Ninja Mac, Jonah, Drew Parker, Alex Zane, Tamatonga, Chris Brooks, and Tekla. New Japan on January 20th, which was the uh, Kazushiko Okada IWGP title win over Jay White from the Tokyo Dome, did 79,000 viewers with an 0.02, which is 28,000 viewers in the 18, uh, 18 to 49 demo, uh, demographic. It was the second straight week that New Japan, in a worse time slot, beat Impact 18 to 49. Last week's show with Kenny Omega versus Will Ospreay from the Tokyo Dome did 81,000 with 19,000 in the 18 to 49 demographic. One year ago, when they aired a replay of the 2018 Omega versus Chris Jericho match, they did 88,000 viewers and 37,000 in 18 to 49. So. Um, other news, Kota Ibushi is making his GCW debut at Bloodsport 9, as we discussed earlier, and will be competing at Spring Break 7. It will be Ibushi's first match anywhere in the world since October 2020, uh, 2021. Um, next up, 
take it to the bank. Mercedes Monet was interviewed. Is this the interview that was uh, recently uploaded on New Japan World a week or so ago? Uh, uh, no, this is a, a written interview they did of her that's on uh, NJPW1972.com. Hopefully it's better than the one that they posted online uh, with the video packages. But, yeah, check that out. It is available on NJPW1972.com. New Japan Strong Openweight Tag Team title match has been signed. Mercy Machine Guns will be taking on the West Coast Wrecking Crew. And Adrian Cress, Quest, Josh Alexander, Mascara Dorada, and Rocky Romero versus Kevin Knight, Kushida, and the DKC and Volador Jr. were added to Battle of the Valley. Uh, there was an exclusive four-leaf clover match announcement with the approval of CMLL official. Azuka Rock, which is Rocky Romero, will be taking on Yuya Uemura for the CMLL World Historic Welterweight Championship only on the Chris Jericho crew. So uh, this is a title that's very rare. Any CMLL title is very rarely defended outside of CMLL. I mean, I think New Japan during Fantastic Mania is one of the only prominent places it ever happens. Mm -hmm. So we will be seeing uh, Rocky Romero defend that new title against Yuya Uemura. Kushida makes his Defy to debut March 11th at Defy on top. And then finally, Mox and Hushaf. Uh, some Defy guy. <laughs> okay. Mox and Shaft will battle ZSJ and Davey Richards at Defy year six on February 11th, which sounds fucking awesome. Yeah, kind of getting back to that uh, Zack Sabre Jr. Mox match we were supposed to get in uh, 2020. So uh, we'll run through the questions now, then get to a uh, recommended match of the week. So the Dark Soldier says, not since Okada versus Buddy Matthews have I seen such a screw job. Kano clearly... Had Naito beaten in two different spots, the cocky pin that Red Shoes should have counted, and when Naito couldn't release a submission hold and Red Shoes didn't count. These freaking New Japan referees and screwing over outsider. Doesn't that just seem, doesn't that, doesn't this just seem you? What? Steam you, steam like you. make you gotcha. angry. Um, I don't know. I, I didn't notice any of that. Did you notice any of that? No, I just noticed, you know, Shinihan mopping yeah. the floor with Noah. Why are you bringing up old shit? We, we, we were drinking on that Noah path last <laughs> week. You know what I'm saying? Uh, I got grief for that because you're not supposed to drink on a pack. You're, you're supposed, supposed to smoke a pack. pack. But, I, you know, I drink six packs. So I was drinking on that <laughs> Noah pack. You know what I'm saying? Uh, he also says, would you say this is the most exciting Okada's been in a long time? He's showing raw emotion and actually is in an angle. Not just, well, I hate to say this, going through the motions like he's been for a, a whole now. I think he meant a while now, but yes. Um, you know, I, I think some of those, uh, like, I don't know what the word is. I, I forget words all the time. Um, some of those criticisms are definitely valid, but I don't know if I, I don't go as hard on Okada as other people do. Like, some people just, like, are really harsh on the guy, and I think he's fantastic. But yes, I think this is the most exciting um, this is probably, in my opinion, the most exciting thing that's been going on with Okada since, like, maybe the Shibata feud. Yeah, or the, the Kenny feud. No. The Kenny feud was not exciting. The Kenny feud was exciting in the match. There was very little that ever happened between those guys outside of those ring ropes that was ever really exciting. I mean, I guess the time that, like, you know, um, Will or Osprey, Osprey, 
the time Omega one wing winged angeled him through a table in the lead up to their Wrestle Kingdom match, but there was like very little that was there was no angles, there was no heat. The heat was we're the two fucking best and we're generational talents. We're gonna go out there and literally have the greatest matches of all time, but that's about it. Yeah. I think that I mean, I could probably point to like that one trilogy of matches that him and Tanahashi had in 2019 or 18 or whatever it was. But I don't know, man. To me, this might be the most like heated thing that's happened with Okada since like Shibata. Yeah, it is great. Um, his last question says, Muto versus Naito. Will Muto politic his way to a victory? I don't say this as a New Japan fan because I'm not just a New Japan fan. I'm a wrestling fan. Um, that would be a travesty, but it is not impossible. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, if you if you think about it for just half a second, I mean, the very fact that Tetsuya Naito is the guy that he's fighting is kind of a little bit like, Sus. <laughs> well, The Rock wasn't available. Oh my god, that almost happened. That would have been so crazy. <laughs> but uh, I mean, okay, like let's say if it had been like say Okada, there's no way he could have won, right? So mm-hmm. that that's totally out the window. But is it impossible that Naito gets told by management that hey, we're getting this huge fucking portion of the gate and payoff? You're putting over Muto. <laughs> it's not impossible right? Especially if Naito loses to Umino Bro Not even They might have him go over Umino So he can lay down for Muto Yikes <laughs> I'm not saying it's going to happen But I'm saying it's not that strange Yeah oh, But I, I do think it's it should. That would be Fucking horrendous Yeah uh, Ghost of Doc Gonzo says, "What were some of your favorite Briscoe matches slash moments from their New Japan run?" Um, I don't know if I have a lot of favorite moments because I don't know if I was paying as close attention to the under. Like I was watching New Japan at that time, but I wasn't watching the full shows. You know, I was kind of like yeah. cherry picking a lot of it. I mean them. And Yano winning the first, being the first like never champions was probably one of the first really big moments. Um, them being on those honor rising shows were really great, but more for me was like the New Japan going to America, going to the UK to do global wars and the the uh, what were the other shows called? There were the uh, war, war of the Worlds, War of the Worlds shows uh, specifically. The tag team match with them versus Okada and Nakamura stands out as being one of those really great, you know, moments. Um, and that's also a great match. And then probably their match with the Young Bucks, which if it had happened in America, probably would have got been remembered much better. The crowd just didn't seem to be as receptive, but their their IWGP title defense against the Young Bucks was really great. Yeah, um, I also really enjoyed the program that they had with G.O.D. Uh, I think it was like the summer of 2019, which led to that big... The like, second program, the, yeah, the yeah, last one. Yeah, the second program where they had it ended in a, some kind of ladder match or ladder war. That ladder match was all... Uh, the street fight was great, too. Yeah, they had a really great program at the end of 2019. It was following the Madison Square Garden uh, four-way match. Um, so that was a lot of fun. 
Uh, he also asked, do you think that Okada slash Kiyomiya match will end in a draw? I just can't see either company letting their world champion eat a clean loss to someone outside their own company. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's funny. No, Kiyomiya is going to do a clean as a sheet fucking job for Okada. Do you know why? Because he's Kazushiko Okada, and this is New Japan Pro Wrestling. And not Noah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Kiyomiya's not facing you know the All Japan Champion here. <laughs> yeah, this is not equal footing. This would be like um, if it'd be like essentially if uh, Roman Reigns stepped in the ring with like you know um, <laughs> Josh Alexander. You know that's a, that's a more appropriate. <laughs> <laughs> who are you gonna say? Um, who's the GCW? Oh, uh, uh, Nick Gage. Yeah, Nick Gage. <laughs> I was gonna say it was Nick Gage. Oh my yeah, god! I feel like if he, if he wrestled Josh Alexander and they really built up Josh Alexander as like a serious, credible outside threat, and they they built up a, a huge Madison Square Garden gate off of it. No one would be would be like talking about like how they need to like go fifty fifty or whatever. It's just not going to happen. Noah is a vastly smaller company. Yeah, they've got a much bigger parent company, but they're just. I mean, bro, they're they're struggling to draw on their regular ass shows without Muto on them. The big shows they do well. Those smaller cards. I mean. It's no comparison, and even with some of the struggles New Japan's had over the years, it's just not the same. Yeah, no, Kiyomiya <laughs> is not going to draw with Okada, and Kiyomiya, if Kiyomiya beats Okada, it's only so Okada can beat him back in a much more stronger and definitive way. This is not me speaking as a New Japan fan. This is me speaking as a realist who <laughs> likes wrestling. Yeah, it's not happening. Yeah. Uh, next qu- uh, question here from Barry Wall says, when it was announced that Carl Frederick signed for WWE, I saw some quotes from Clark Connors congratulating him and saying he hopes Carl can put a good word, word in for Clark. I know wrestlers are all about making money, but is this slightly disrespectful to New Japan? If my company paid a lot for me to upskill for years and I was saying I want to, to my mate to put in a word for me in front of our rivals, you get what I'm saying? No, because my company puts in a lot of money for me to up my skills and to get licenses, and I'm ready to fucking walk from there, too. And I hope someone puts in a good word for me. <laughs> you know why? Because in, in this world, this is a wrestling business. This is not wrestling markdom. You never be a mark for the company. You be a mark for yourself in the famous words of Nick Jackson, <laughs> a.k.a. you know Bruiser Brody-ism. No, like, okay, I get it. Should he be, like, grateful for the training they provided him and the ability to, to travel and all that? But what the fuck are they doing for Clark Connors today? When's the last time you see Clark Connors in Japan? When's the last time you seen him win a, a singles match? Right, and I, I think with um, this whole thing with, with Connors, like, and the whole training with him and Fredericks, like, we don't even know how much those guys get paid when they were – Young Lions and doing the LA Dojo stuff. So I get, yeah, you know, they got into the dojo and did this training, but like how much money were they really making? Do you all, know? All, 
Also, those guys are extremely sarcastic online, and it could have just been an offhanded joking remark. You know what I mean? We, mm-hmm. I don't think I would put a lot of stock into anything that they say. These guys, these are the same guys who are trying to sell us on the idea that Yuya Uemura is gone from New Japan. Right, and Carl doesn't work. Always taking pictures of Uemura online. Right, um, but do I have a problem that he has offended New Japan? The IWGP, I don't give a fuck. <laughs> I hope this guy gets his bag. The same way how I didn't care that Dragon Lee went to WWE, the same way I don't care that Jonah went to WWE, the same way I don't care that Carl Fredericks went there. I don't I wouldn't or that Kotobushi is a free agent because ultimately these are all humans that need to feed their families and earn as much as they possibly can and do what's best for them. And if it happens to be here in the Cerulean Blue, great. If it happens to be somewhere else, fine. And if do I care if they disrespect the company personally? I don't give a fuck. Which plays into uh, his next question. He says, "Also, wanted your take on Clark, Alex, and Gabe? To me, it seems like they are still treated a bit at a boy, like when you rub a kid's hair for helping you out with some DIY. I almost feel like it's if I almost feel like it's they should be happy to be there or get that feeling. Is this because so many guys should eventually leave?" Or am I seeing or getting a wrong impression unique to me? No, nope, I think you're 100% right. I think that this is definitely a big issue, and I think that they're missing all the potential and upside that comes from those guys, and they've got killers waiting in the wings in Alex Coughlin and Gabe Kidd and Clark Connors and DKC and you know Kevin Knight. And it is kind of like, Okay, they gave Shibata this side project. Part of me wonders if they like gave it to him so he wouldn't like try to wrestle somewhere <laughs> yeah. else. And then, you know, he he created these incredible not created, but he helped craft and and you know train these incredible wrestlers. And now they don't know what the fuck to do with them. Well, you better figure something out. Otherwise, they're going to be wrestling on TNT or USA very shortly getting paid a lot more than you could have ever paid them. You're going to have foot in the bill on training these guys to go work for your big competition. Figure it out. Right. I I, I love what they're doing with, you know, Vegeta and Umino coming back and, you know, great Okan coming back. But, you know, they talk about fast tracking. Like these guys are finished products. Like I think it was kind of ridiculous that, you know, Coughlin and kid, their record in the world tag league, like, these guys are they're still treated essentially like young lions. Um, I think it's time that these guys need to get back in Japan and they need to be involved in some big programs. They need to be winning some big singles matches. All these guys are great. Um, okay, okay, 890 says, who do you think could replace Jay as a top heel if he leaves or do you think that won't happen? They won't have a blatantly heel top guy anymore. Anybody. (laughs) I'm sorry. I kind of mean that. I do think Jay White is supremely talented. I think Jay White is so good in so many different ways. Amazing look, amazing promo, amazing in-ring skills. List goes on and on. But, I mean, being the top heel, it's definitely difficult. It's definitely a skill, but, like, there's a lot of guys in this company that could be the top heel, no problem whatsoever, and might even draw more, might even be have better connections with the fans and the audience and, and 
be a bigger deal than him personally. Yeah. I mean, I mean, Shingo could be top heel. Yeah. And from a foreign standpoint, Zack Sabre Jr. is right there. Right. Okada could be top heel. There's any number of guys that could be the top heel in this company. And it's not all just about Jay White. I mean, he's just another guy. And I don't mean that in a disrespectful way, but I mean it more like in the uh, territorial sense. Guys come, guys go, the show goes on. You know right. what I mean? He's not a larger-than-life kind of act that if he leaves New Japan, we're cooked. Like, he's a great wrestler. He was a main eventer, a top star, former champion. But if he leaves, it's going to be just like when AJ Styles left. It'll be just like when Nakamura left. Like, they're gonna get they're gonna get somebody else up and running. Kota Ibushi just left. We're fine. Yeah, company's fine. Kenny Omega left. Company's fine. Yeah. Uh, also asked, when do you think Yuya and Tuji should come back before something them eighteen before G one thirty three? Both guys are a couple years older than Shota and Narita and seem to be highly praised by people that have watched them on their excursions. I'd be fine with any time. I I don't have much more insight beyond that whenever the company thinks is going to be appropriate to plug them in. My main thing is I, I hope they get set up for success. We've seen guys come back and struggle from excursion. And I think it's better when they have all their ducks in a row and they're fully ready for it. Yeah. I think the come back when you have a, a plan, a 12 month plan for, for both of these guys. Agreed. Uh, next question. VE 30. Do you think Tanahashi will be the challenger for battle in the Valley? I think that that would be a bad call. Um, I mean, the tickets are sold. You could do that. They've done it in the past in America, not for the title, but we were there. They did it in uh, Dallas at the G1, so it would be a rematch. You know, it'd probably be good. It's it's always good between those two guys, but there's just no panache. There's no sizzle to that match in any way. I'd rather them do a fresh matchup of some sort or something that's a little bit more uh you know just something that has more prestige or i don't know not prestige but just something more you know yeah something that's a little bit more like questioning who's gonna win kind of thing it doesn't even have to be that like i i threw out some examples of ring of honor guys i think they could do that would be enticing but like okay let's throw it out there Let's say they did like a Josh Alexander, a Speedball, Mike Bailey, for example, some some impact guys. They're not going to win, but that's exciting. It's like a first-time matchup. They could even do a rematch, but, I mean, Tanahashi's fighting Kenta on the undercard in special singles non-title matches, and even if he won that match, I don't know if that qualifies him in kayfabe to be the guy to get the title shot. I just I don't think now's the right time. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I just feel like the, the Kata Tanahashi thing is kind of passed. Like, I'm sure they could still have an incredible matchup, but I think, like, the juice is kind of. We've gotten all the juice out of the squeeze with uh, those guys wrestling each other in the main events. Uh, next set of questions here from Hawaiian Punch BB. He says Hiromu said that he wanted to break the title defense record after winning the title. So I assume that he'll be defending his title at his All Star Junior Festival show. With so many interesting options available, who do you think he'll be defending his title against? Or do you think Moxa will beat him on Muto's retirement show and the rematch will be for the title on this show? With 22-plus companies involved in this uh, 
all-star festival. Hard to say what it's going to be. I can't imagine that there's many singles matches. I wouldn't be surprised if it's nothing but multi-man tag team matches. But if you were going to do a major singles title match at the top, you might want to do the IWGP junior title. And what you propose with him in Amoxa makes a lot of sense. You could do something else. I am not knowledgeable enough about the outside junior divisions, especially 22 companies of them, to really give you a strong take. But I think what you've proposed is uh, as good of a booking decision as any other. Yeah, if they really want to set up a rematch there, yeah, then you can have uh, Amakusa uh, beat Hiromu in the Tokyo Dome and do the big rematch there and you know tease the potential of him taking the junior title back to Noah. I will say this. We didn't cover it in the news, but we were flagged on Twitter. They sold out that event in Cork and Hall. They probably should have done a bigger building. Yeah. Bigger. Um, he also asked, how would you feel if someone like former Boss J participant Vegeta Jr. Hayato was Hiromu's opponent? Last year, he had his first match back from cancer and won the Michinoku Pro Junior Heavyweight title. He stated after winning that his dream opponents would be Hiromu and his eternal rival, Keno. He also said that he doesn't know how much longer he can go, so the sooner this can happen, the better. I would love it. Yeah, I mean, I'm not really familiar, too familiar with Hayato, but, I mean. He rules. You would like him. He's really good. You should check out some of his stuff, honestly. Nice. Um, then he says here, do you think the Voldor Jr. vs. Rocky Romero rematch will happen at Fantastic Mania? Do you think their hair vs. hair match can possibly happen in Japan? So I haven't been following enough of this. I know that there was, um, you know, like the, uh, bicentennial, the bicentennial Copa, you know, tournament, the tag team tournament that they won and then, I don't know what happened, but somehow there ended up being a title match between Rocky and Volador. Obviously, Rocky won. Apparently, Rocky was playing a heel. Last week, Rocky shoved a, a cake into Volador's <laughs> face. There's talks of them having a hair versus hair match um, and, and a rematch for the title. So it sounds like it might be a rematch series. I don't follow CMLL enough to know what's going on, but I'm looking a little bit online because this has been pretty intriguing. But uh, I I wouldn't be surprised with the timing of all this if a big part of why they did this was to time the rematch between these two guys for Fantastic Mania. It seems very likely that there's some sort of match in the works between them for that tour. Yeah, there are opposite sides of the eight-man tag at Battle in the Valley, which I believe is before Fantastic Mania, so... I'm sure that eight-man tag will potentially build something for uh, Fantastica Mania. And uh, last question here from our good friend Rocky Romero asking us, did we watch the match, the aforementioned match between him and Volador Jr. and sent the, the YouTube link? Well, Rock, we have not watched that match, and there's a good reason behind why we haven't watched a match. We've heard all the buzz. We know all the hype behind it, but we wanted to save this match for the excursion match of the week. And if we watched ahead of time, how are we going to review for excursion match <laughs> of the week? Um, so yes, um, that is going to be my pick for excursion match of the week this weekend. You know, Jeremy, I know you're not going to be on the show, but I think that I'll probably just watch it and review it along with your recommendation for recommended match of the week. I'll probably just do both. 
All right, yeah, I'm definitely planning on watching this match. I haven't watched it yet, Rocky. Uh, sorry about that, but because I knew eventually we'd cover it for excursion match of the week. But yeah, I'm gonna watch it because I've heard. I mean, Dave gave it four and three quarters. People have been raving about this. You know, Rocky's now the top heel in CMLL, so definitely gonna watch it. Support our good friend Rocky Romero um, and check that out. Even though he left me on red last in the trimester. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so yeah, so moving in that brings into recommended match of the week. Um, so last week for last week's excursion match of the week recommended uh, the Darby versus Kushida TNT title match from Dynamite. Did you uh, rewatch that one? Yeah, I got a chance to rewatch this match, and um, it was just as good as I had recalled it being when I watched it live. Uh, I thought it was really tremendous. I thought. Kushida with his limb work was not only fluid, but also kind of cruel, kind of ruthless. And when you have um, someone that's so spry and wiry and like kind of haphazard as Darby Allen, he does a really great job selling that limb work and showing that pain and getting that sympathy. Um, Some of the things I didn't like about this match is kind of the same things I didn't like about say, most other really good TV matches from AEW, it's just like the commercial breaks. I do think they break up the flow a little bit um, and do make it hard to grade matches like this to the same level as, say, like a pay-per-view style main event. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But um, the match was incredible. Seeing Darby fly all over the place, seeing him and Kushi to Matt wrestle and do all the technical stuff, all the high-flying stuff, the arm work from Kushida. Match was really, 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 really awesome. Um, I think that the match could have used, like, say, five more minutes, though. I think that they shortchanged them just a little bit on the television side of things, kept it a little short. Um, You know, it only went, like, 13 minutes and changed, and I think, like, if they'd gone, like, 18 minutes, we're looking at, like, a real, real classic here. All the same, I'm still, like, four stars somewhere between like four and four and a quarter but yeah i thought this was awesome and it, it's exactly what i like to see from the AEW new japan partnership so highly recommended nice uh then for your recommended match of the week you're recommended voldor jr versus ultimo guerrero from fantastica mania 2017 and boy what a treat this matchup was uh, i mean you had a hot uh, Cork and Hall crowd, two huge CMLL stars, and this was a really fun matchup to watch. Um, I was a little confused uh, at first when because uh, both men had their mask on. I, I thought that both of them had lost it by then, but I always forget that they do that. They come with their mask, they, and then they do it like every Fantascomania. Yeah, and so yeah, they both had their mask, and they like threw them in the crowd. Um, Ultimo Guerrero was super over. Like he usually is, had the crowd, you know, raising the roof. And there's just so many crazy, like, spots in here. Uh, Bulldor, huge suicide dive. It is this crazy, like, code red reversal spot. Uh, Bulldor to this over the top rope, Ron to the outside. Um, Bulldor goes for a tope. Ultimo catches him and then powerbomb him to the floor. Ultimo does this um, diving senton uh, to the outside. He has this crazy top rope face buster. Bulldor does a springboard run to the outside. Um, 
then he did a super springboard uh, Rana. Um, Ultimo did like a super reverse suplex, I think, was, which is one of his finishers. And then uh, ultimately, uh, Volador got the win uh, with a Spanish fly. And, and that's just some of like the highlights of the spot. So if you haven't watched this match, it's on New Japan World. Fantastic Mania. Definitely go out of your way to watch it. I'm somewhere between uh, four and a quarter stars and four and a half stars. Um, wow. It was just an awesome mail event. Um, and then Volador is just outstanding. Um, and Ultimo Guerrero, for a guy his size, you know, he's more of a, a, a thicker luchador. He did, he can still do some really awesome stuff as well. So this is definitely a match to check out. And it really got me um, excited for this year's Fantastica Mania. Great. Well, um, this week, again, the excursion match of the week is going to be Rocky Romero versus Volador Jr. from uh, Arena Mexico, CMLL from this I don't know if it was this past. It wasn't this past week, but like a week or so ago, a couple weeks ago. Yes, and that's uh, available on CMLL's YouTube. Um, then for the recommended match of the week, I couldn't get enough of Volador Jr. So we're going back to Best Super Junior's twenty-four night thirteen Volador Jr. versus Kushida. Yeah. So that is going to do it for this week's show. Next week. It says we, but it's not going to be we, right? It's going to be me, right? Right, yes. I am not going to be on the show next week. I'm going to be out of town. Yeah, so we had discussed myself and potentially a guest host coming to bring you guys the show. But I think I'm going to go ahead and make the judgment call now. I've done some tinkering around, downloaded some software, done some test runs, and I think I'm ready to unleash on the world, the first ever official solo young boy keeping it strong style episode. I will be back next week reviewing both New Beginning in Sapporo shows as well as previewing the major New New Beginning in Osaka show. Um, so, for those of you guys that don't like me, <laughs> if you exist, I assume most of you do, but if you don't, you might want to tune out of that show. But I will be. Um, I'll be doing my best. I'll be doing all the things that I don't normally do that I let fall on Jeremy, like taking notes, paying attention. I'm going to actually do that this time (laughs) and try to fill in uh, that part of it. And um, I will be back. And, And here's the thing. If it airs, it airs. If it doesn't, then it just doesn't. You guys will have to make do. So, <laughs> um, I'm gonna try. I'm gonna try and record it as early as possible so I can get it over to the appropriate parties to make sure it gets out on time for you guys. So nice. So check that out. Keep listening to the show, whether or not you like the young boy. Keep subscribing. Keep downloading. <laughs> uh, so yeah. So Joshua. And if you got it, 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 same for Jeremy. I'm sure there's some of you that hate him. So I mean, there's you know people call me mush mouth and. All kind of stuff. So, oh, bro, I saw that that thing from that dude the other day. I was going through some of the old like messages, and I I saw that, and I was like, "Fuck that guy." <laughs> uh, so yeah, so yeah, Josh will be back next week to cover uh, New Beginning in Sapporo. So if you enjoyed today's show, please consider making a donation by going to socialsuplex.com/slash/donate and clicking the donate button under the Keeping a Strong Style logo. Make sure you connect with us on social media. On Twitter, the show is at KI Strong Style. You can follow the network at Social Suplex. You can follow me at Jeremy L. Donovan on Facebook, 
Do our Facebook.com slash social suplex. Also find us at the Wrestling Squared Circle Facebook group. On Instagram, we're at social suplex on Reddit. I'm the pro black guy, just keeping strong style. You can email me, Jeremy at socialsuplex.com. Check out all the other shows that we have here on the Social Suplex Podcast Network. One issue radio hosted by Rich Latta and James Boyd. The Grave Consequences hosted by Caleb and Maserati. All Things Elite hosted by Floyd and Austin. The AEW Match Guide podcast hosted by Sir Sam and the Great Match Generator hosted by Danny. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating and review. And we will catch you next week on Keeping It Strong Style, the ace of podcasts. Itchy. Bye. Thank you for listening to Keeping It Strong Style. We'll see you next time.